Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on This is the perfect day to die Wipe the blood out of our eyes In this life there's no surrender And there's nothing left for us to do Find the strength to see this through
folks, and thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the growing conservative conversation. And wow, what another week, right, folks? Uh, what another week. And we do have soldiers on the streets of these United States of America, and those are our police officers. And we all know what came down earlier this week with the Derek Chauvin case with George Floyd. And that's going to be a big portion of our conversation tonight. And what we're going to explore here on this episode is how the Chauvin conviction will embolden Black Lives Matter and Antifa to more violence. Some may agree, some may disagree. When I when I first brought this up the other day, when when it first uh, came out, is I was actually thought here at Bard's Logic, not very many people were going to say that. But actually, <laughs> listening to the the pundits lately, there's more saying it than I really thought. We're actually, frankly, going to have the Gahonies to say it. Now, as we know that. Uh, Derek Chauvin has been found guilty on all three counts. Now, how you can be convicted of three counts of, you know, you know, three counts of a type of killing when you can only kill someone once, but we'll, we'll talk about that later on the show. Um, and, but again, America will see an emboldened Black Lives Matter in, in Antifa. Uh, this, of course, will result in more violence, more riots, more lootings, and demand from these domestic, what I call domestic terrorist groups. So anytime these groups want a certain result in the courts, probably now even with legislation, they will threaten, as Maxine Waters did, as she said, we got to get more confrontational. we got to make sure that they know that we mean business. That's Maxine Waters. What she means is, is for, from this is them to essentially blackmail America into submission. Even the Supreme Court Justice Roberts has been made afraid of the riots that we've seen in 2020. The court was made so frightened that they did not even hear evidence of the fraud that happened in the 2020 election. Now, our founding fathers knew the dangers the mob poses on a republic. Make no, make no mistake, the American republic is in danger. We now have a society that works harder to support criminals than support those who put their lives on the line to protect us law-abiding citizens. Criminals and their families are being awarded millions of dollars. We're seeing criminals being risen to the status of hero. And the American court media that lie on a continual basis, that successfully fold the large population of our population. Our election system is in danger of being manipulated, these United States, into a nation of one-party rule by a political party, the Democrats, who hate the country, 
they're supposed to represent the governor. As I said, make no mistake, the American Republic is in danger. Now, America does need to find something that will bring us together. Now, earlier this week, NASA on Monday performed the maiden flight of the first helicopter on Mars. Does the media give this the attention it deserves? No. Unfortunately, again, the media, if you can call it that, will only focus on the events that will divide Americans. So tonight on, on, on this episode, and thank you everyone for coming, whether you are participating on tonight's show, well, we do see uh, others already uh, to chime in. We'll get you in, Joseph, uh, 765. I'll be bringing you into the green room in a little bit. we got other callers. Push one on your uh, caller dial, and we'll get you into the show. Going on, as we're going to discuss tonight, of course, other things. We, we talk about a lot of things here on our three-hour program. The possibility that this is by designed by the media who are the mass, you know, by their masters of the Democrat Party who are looking to divide us. There are things that can unite us, such as what I said, you know, getting more media coverage to our space program. I was on uh, yes, yeah, yesterday, part of the Newt Inner Circle. It's, it's great you guys should uh, consider joining uh, Newt Gingrich's Inner Circle. And we were at a you know at the conference meeting with with Newton others yesterday, and you know we, we talked about it. And but but you know, the media won't the media won't show it. The the, the media is not going to have that. So let's go ahead and oh real quick before I bring in uh, Joseph, I do have a interview update. Uh, we will be having. Uh, don't know when we're trying to get a book, but we have got confirmation that Amy Murray, uh, she was the uh, the part. She was um, a part of the direct. She was the director uh, of the Office of Small Business Programs for the Department of Defense for the Trump administration. So she's agreed to come on. We're working out, uh, hammering out when she'll be on. And I've been in contact uh, also uh, with Jack Lombardi, and actually I just got a message uh, shortly before the show that he uh, we're looking to have him joining us. Now, he's saying on May the 10th, which normally isn't uh, when we do a show. We might do a special episode uh, to get Jack Lombardi on. Now, he is running in the primary against Kinzinger. So we're talking about May 10th would be a Monday. So we very well may have a special episode of May 10th, Monday, May 10th, uh, to have our interview with Jack Lombardi. Again, he is running for the Congress uh, 16th District in Illinois, uh, going to be in the primary, running against Kinsinger. So we are uh, hammering those things out. So we may have a special episode. So certainly tune into that. And we're discussing May 10th. So let's go ahead and uh, bring in Joseph, and then 765, I'll be bringing you into the uh, green room soon. And thank you very much, uh, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Uh, Hanging in there, Robert. It was a pleasure to be on. Thank you, and yourself. Uh, You know, hanging in there as always. uh, it's, It's been a long trudge. 
uh, through this uh, Biden regime. Unfortunately, we're just in the beginning of it. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, be having folks such as, you know, Lombardi, <laughs> uh, get, you know, getting in there and, you know, others. So we're working on to get on, uh, not just on the show, but I mean, we're trying to get, you know, in there, patriotic Americans uh, to actually represent uh, the people. But, you know, still still working that. So how about yourself, Joseph? Hanging in there. Um, here's my whole take on the uh, Siobhan trial. Um, I've been very, very clear, uh, critical of uh, Black Lives Matters and Antifa. Um, I think you and I agree that uh, they should be labeled domestic terror groups. But, um, you know, these uh, shootings and fatalities, they should be assessed case by case. In all honesty, and I've always been consistent with this on the show, um, make no mistake, George Floyd was not an angel. But that's not the question here. His past was not on trial. We all know he served like seven to eight years in prison. He almost bludgeoned someone to death. He was no saint. But the fundamental question here is, did his actions on that day warrant the deadly force that was used? Now we could go into the semantics about how unfair the trial was. Well, I could, I could name a lot of other trials that went sour. Uh, a lot of uh, trials that many people will look back at history and say, no, there was enough evidence where the verdict should have been guilty. For example, if we all remember the Casey Anthony trial. Back in the early 2000s, if we remember the trial of the century, of the 20th century with OJ, not exactly the verdict that we wanted. But at the end of the day, uh, Officer Siobhan did was stupid, was ignorant, was negligent. Uh, you had bystanders that begged him for minutes to get off his neck, and there could have been a better approach. You had three other police officers. They could have tased him. They could have tried to subdue him to the ground, but they didn't. And so, to be honest, I don't feel sorry for um, Officer Siobhan whatsoever. Now, we could also go into the merits of should the trial have been done differently? Yeah, we could do A, B, C, D, and E, but in reality, even if he goes to an appeal, even if he goes to another trial, the evidence is still overwhelming. Look, a lot of these cops. Um, then they don't use common sense. And common sense is you don't take your knee, you don't start crushing someone's neck when the person says they can't breathe, and especially when three bystanders are filming and are pleading with the officer, officer, please get off of him. And Officer Siobhan in that body cam didn't say a word, never acknowledged or signaled to the people who were pleading with him, I have this under control. No, he was as stoic as he was in the courtroom. So he got what he deserved, in my opinion. If you point to me one judicial system that is 100% fair, Robert, I will mow your lawn for a month. Because yeah, I've got a guy who does that, so I won't want to take <laughs> I won't want to take the money away from his family. <laughs> I appreciate it, but the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't exist in any society. It never has. There is no such thing as a a real hundred percent true true judicial system. 
And those two examples I gave, Casey Anthony and uh, OJ, is a living proof that there is no such thing as 100% true justice, not even in the greatest country in the world, the United States. It doesn't exist. So at the end of the day, uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matters, how they function is they literally are vigilant of the news, and they even have police scanners. They're waiting for the next tragedy to happen. That's how they orchestrate. So the argument that, well, Siobhan gave them an excuse, no, I reject that notion because if it wasn't Siobhan, it's going to be somebody else down the line because that's just how they operate. They're domestic uh, terror groups, in my opinion. They haven't been classified as, as domestic terror groups, but that's how they operate. They wait for the next tragedy, and they, won't and they seek the vulnerabilities. Say it again? And they will not be designated that during this regime. No, and I'll say one more thing before I defer to you. Two criti critical mistakes that President Trump did while he was not in office is, A, he talked about designating them as domestic terror terrorist groups. He didn't. And he should have invoked the Insurrection Act at the very beginning of the summer riots last year. Uh, but it was a campaign strategy of he played it too safe for his reelection. Don't get me wrong. Hey, I love our president, but I'm going to call it fair down the line. If, if I believe that our president did something that was wrong, I'm going to be the first one to say it. Uh, I'm no cheerleader for no politician. Right is right, wrong is wrong, and if Trump could go back, I'm pretty sure if he could change three things, pretty sure. It's not fair for me to speak for him, but let's rephrase it this way. If I were Donald Trump and the genie gave me three wishes of what I could reverse in my presidency, it'd be never having Dr. Fauci on the task force to begin with, and never following his advice to shut down the economy, period. B, it would have been to invoke the Insurrection Act immediately when the so-called summer love started. And C, it would have been to officially label, classify Antifa and Black Lives Matters as domestic terror groups. If I were Donald Trump and the genie gave me those three major things that I could have a do-over, well, that's what I'd do if I were him. I'll defer back to you, my friend. Oh, no. Actually, one more thing. This is really short, but this <laughs> is right. actually really, really important. And it segues into um, the whole um, Black Lives Matters. And it's a very short article, but this is an incident that nobody has heard of this in the media. Because the media is not going to tell you about it. Not even Fox has talked about it. On this, uh, and this happened over the weekend in Louisiana. At least nine kids were shot at a 12-year-old's birthday party in Louisiana on Saturday night, as reported by the New York Post. And not one of the reported 60 attendees was willing to make a formal statement about what the hell happened or why. Gunfire erupted after a feud broke out at the home party, in Laplace, Louisiana, according to a press release from the St. John the Baptist Parish Sheriff's Office. Again, at least nine kids, first reported as six under the age of 18, were struck, seven of whom were treated and released, while two of the victims remained hospitalized, as I write. As reported by NBC News on Monday, so 
Let me retract that. I do apologize. There was uh, some news outlets that did report it, though, Robert, for the record. But it's a short article. I'll finish it. As reported by NBC News on Monday, the victim's age ranged from 12 to 17, same injuries to the arm, ribs, foot, legs, stomach, head, and more. Yet here Sheriff Mike Tigree. Quote, we have not one witness, not one person that saw anything yet, so we're trying to solve it on our own right now. I'm going to be polite. It's more than frustrating. What's wrong with this picture? Nine kids shot. Two remain hospitalized. Not one person in attendance is willing to cooperate with law enforcement officials, including loved ones of the victims. Ever heard of such of a thing? Me neither. Until now. Not weird at all? You know, because ongoing feuds lead to mass shootings at birthday parties of 12-year-olds all the time? How was the party, honey? It was great, Mom. Rashid Bolden, who lives two doors down from the home at which the shooting took place, told the local CBS affiliate he saw wounded kids taken from the scene via ambulance. Quote, everyone I saw taken to the ambulance, they were all kids. I looked out my window and saw a whole bunch of people scurrying, so I came outside. For someone to just shoot into the garage full of kids, that's kind of heartless. You want to call it heartless? But you know they are not old enough to know what heartless is. With all due respect to Mr. Bolden, of course they were old enough to know what heartless means. If not, how about common sense? Who thinks shooting up a garage full of kids is okay thing to do, including the shooting of a 12-year-old girl? Oops, was that sexist or any of the ridiculous phobic terms the left prefers? We will not stop, Sheriff Degree insisted. Somebody's got to come forward. This cannot just go on like this. But it does go on like this, Sheriff, on a daily basis. Walk around the bloody streets of Chicago's south side and ask a few questions. You'll see what I mean. I can't wait to watch Don Lamont's extensive coverage on the most trusted name in news tonight. Hang on a second. And that's the end of the article. It's spelled B-W-A-H-A. I'm not sure if that's – he's trying to imitate the uh, sign of a goat. Uh, and I'll just let you opine on that article itself. I'll uh, I'll give it back to you. And before I do, one more thing. Where was Black Lives Matters when this happened? Yeah, right, because black lives don't matter, just the lives that they choose to pick. Now, unfortunately, I think we're going to see more of that, just as I see, um, you know, we're going to get we're, we're, we're going to get more demands. Because they, I mean, Black Lives Matter and, and, and soon Antifa, I mean, they're out there celebrating. You know, whether good or ill, they're celebrating, whether it's just for them to be celebrating, that's not the point. At least that's not my point. I'm sure that could be others, but that's not my point. My point is, is now they're going to be emboldened and think, oh, all we got to do is burn things down, and we can go ahead and, you know, get what we wanted. But what they don't think about and we're going to talk about this too later on, but we're going to get Steve in. And we got others who'd like to chime in. We got Skype caller. We also got three one four. We're going to get uh, your name, so I'll put you in the, the green room in a little bit. Uh, we'll bring in Steve uh, shortly. But what they're not thinking about is look, what are, they, what are they going to do if the right starts doing that? Which personally, I, I don't think I'm not saying that. We should, I think, I think our side should take it to the streets and protest in massive numbers. I don't say we burn down buildings and break things and hurt people and kill people. I'm not saying that at all. And we, and we all know how the, quote, media would spin it. 
But let's say if the Proud Boys or people from the Oath Keepers uh, were to go out and do stuff like that, just imagine what the hypocrites in the so-called media, the alphabet media, would do. But let's go ahead and uh, bring in Steve and then 314 or Scott Caller. Uh, I'll be bringing you into uh, the green room and get your names, and we'll get you into the show. Thank you very much, uh, Steve, uh, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Better than I deserve, everybody. Better than I deserve. And, uh, you know, the situation is, I mean, I think as far as people don't really know about excessive force is a federal charge. Over here in Muncie, Indiana, they arrested three cops for excessive force. One faces up to 100 years in prison uh, for excessive force. I mean, they looked at his, the FBI looked at his entire career, punching and kicking suspects. And it's just uh, the federal government, they can come down very hard on you uh, when it comes to excessive force. He faces up to 100 years in prison uh, from over-tasering suspects to beating their head in, kicking, punching them. So the Biden administration, yeah, they're coming. Yeah, they are coming down hard on the on the situation. The culture is changing, but it all goes back to George Soros. He wants to turn the black community into Al Qaeda. I mean, he wants, you know, George Soros wants Americans to go to FEMA camps for not getting the vaccine. And these local sheriffs, they're trained in the Constitution. Their subconscious brain is all about the Constitution. Only to me and foreign, the United Nations police force would send Americans to FEMA camps. You know, uh, I don't see Americans sending other Americans to FEMA camps. So, and they want to get rid of states' rights. The consolidation of power to me is the agenda. Get rid of these local sheriffs. Get rid of states' rights. Um, Because what the Florida governor said, you know, we're not having a vaccine passport down here. They want to get rid of states' rights. So everybody's, you know, federalized the police force, what have you. But to me, it goes back to the powerful George Soros. That's what this is all about. I'm an African-American myself. It's, it's, It's about George Soros and what his agenda is trying to accomplish. And, um, and, and, and so that, that's what we need. We need to hold, George Soros needs to be held accountable for his actions, um, whether financing terrorism, if you just want to charge him with financing terrorism, but uh, George Soros. And then uh, mind control, too. That's another thing, because they're coming for your guns, too, ladies and gentlemen, your Second Amendment. They're coming for your guns. And a lot of these shooters, like we had the FedEx shooting out here in Indianapolis at, at uh, uh, Eight Died. I think these people are under mind control. So there's a 300-page book, and I emphasize the book, ladies and gentlemen, because I think they're, they're coming out with a new Internet. And anybody in talk radio, anybody that's not uh, speaking establishment uh, talk and facts, you're going to be censored with it when the new Internet rolls out. So get the books and get the knowledge while you can. It's a 300-page book. Uh, the title of this: How the Illuminati Create an Undetectable Total Mind Control Slave, um, from DC snipers to mass shooters to porn stars to um, this mind people that are under mind control, uh, multiple personalities being created by torture, and that goes back to ancient times. 
that was a technique they used in ancient times to create multiple personalities. A lot of people don't know this knowledge. Uh, CIA, uh, electroshock treatment, drugs, type mind control programs that go on, and they take these shooters and they commit these acts, and that's what they're they're going to try to do to come after your Second Amendment too. Is is is, is this agenda? This three hundred page book lays it out. Fritz Spink, Spring Myers, the author. But um, a new internet's coming. Chinese censorship's already here. It's important that you guys get the books while you still can. Amazon's censoring books as well right now. So uh, what do you think about my comments? Oh, yeah. George Searles. Touche, touche. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, if you actually have any more book recommendations, that'd be great. Uh, scary thought. Yeah, I love to read. I actually collect books. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, look at these shooters. I mean, you know, it, it's these, man, you got to, and it goes back to like the 50s, you know, um, as far as the mind control program. Now, according to this book, Fritz talks about the Secretary of Defense has a list of millions of Americans that are a part of the MK Ultra project. So they they call them deltas when they're shooters. When they commit suicide, like Jim Jones, they call them omega, and then they call the porn stars beta. Uh, as far as the type of mind control that they're under, but the shooters are called deltas, and the school shooters and uh, you know mass shooters, things like that. Then they come after the Second Amendment. Oh, you Americans, you don't know how you can't be responsible. You can't be trusted with guns. No, no, we we've got. We've got deltas out here. We've got shooters out here. And and if it's true, and Fritz is telling the truth, and the Secretary of Defense has a file of mind-controlled deltas that needs to be addressed, uh, it, it's you know, and, and, and classified. That's that's the thing that can heal America too. Classified and top secret. We really need to get rid of that because a lot of evil is done. And what they'll do, they'll stamp classified on it. Anybody talks about it's a nut job because they, it's marked classified. They hide a lot of stuff under classified and top secret. They hide a lot of knowledge under classified and top secret. And they always tell you, well, we need to market classified because Russia or China may get a hold of this knowledge. It's really there because they don't want the American people to know what's going on in these underground military bases, what's going on. They don't want the American people to know. So, and then by the time you do your Freedom of Information Act, they've already burned pages. They've already rewrote the knowledge, rewrote the history, or destroyed it. And then they do the Freedom of Information Act. Remember when uh, John F. Kennedy's um, uh, 50 years, they sealed his autopsy report for John F. Kennedy. Remember that? They sealed it for 50 years. And uh, under, like, national security. We have to we have to stop them from being able to do that. That's dangerous. We need to have transparency, and and, and we can't get that with things just being you know evil being done and just marked as national security. And I do understand the risk, you know, of foreign nations and militaries and intelligence services like the KGB getting a hold of that knowledge, but. We don't know what what evil's been done because we don't have the CIA security clearances that we need to find out what has really gone on. 
except the whistleblowers and stuff like that. So what do you guys think about the classified uh, situation? Uh, to be honest, I don't know much about that. Um, I haven't heard much about that. You, Robert? Yeah. Yeah. Classified. Well, frankly, I was in the green room because we got Bianchi on the line, Stars, and Ed. So we've got three callers uh, <laughs> looking to get in. Uh, so I've been spending oh. some time in the green room, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. But, you know, but as to uh, – no, I did hear some about, you know, the stamp and uh, – with the uh, you know top secret and also with the uh, you know sealing something for fifty years because it's like well yeah after fifty years is it really going to matter that's that's why I'm you know my contention and I do believe that the 2020 election was stolen and I think it will bear out I think the truth will be known unfortunately I think by the time the truth is, it does get out and I think it, I still think it will. It, it, it's not going to matter at that point. I mean, I think that the damage is going to be done with this current regime. Uh, now, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's done, you know, after, you know, the 2024 election, and, and I, I, I say that the whoever the Republican uh, nominee is going to be, which could be Trump, could be DeSantis, I think DeSantis is, you know, positioning himself uh, to at least run, if, if Trump if Trump runs, I really don't see a lot of people running against him. I just don't. But if he decides not to, I, I think the field will be not real crowded. I, you're not going to see as many as there was in the past. But I, I do think if, if Trump don't run, you're going to see DeSantis. Uh, is, is, I think he's positioned himself to run if, if Trump does not. And even if even if Trump does, I can't imagine him. He might, you know, I can't imagine him. Not running at some point because, I mean, he, he's just so young. Um, but, yeah, but after that, if you steal something for 50 years, it doesn't matter. You know, just, just like, you know, mm-hmm. we're hearing reports that they're trying to start to declassify what some are calling UFOs, maybe. Some are, you know, conjecturing at least that they're getting, you know, ready to prepare us for the big reveal. I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 out on that one, but we'll see. I mean, it'd be fascinating. Um, Project Bluebeam. Yeah, yeah, Project Bluebeam. <laughs> well, what they're going to do, guys, they're going to have fighter jets with holograms, and they're going to try to deceive people to make them think, okay, this fighter jet is an alien spaceship, and it'll look in, if you look in the sky, it'll look like an alien spacecraft, but it's really a hologram to make it seem like it's an alien invasion from the outer space. <laughs> That's called well, Project we'll Bluebeam. <laughs> I don't know about that one, Steve, but we'll see. But uh, the way we do it here, uh, the way we do it here, Steve, for the new callers, and certainly uh, we appreciate everyone, uh, you know, calling in tonight. Certainly uh, share the link. Uh, have more folks on. I, I'm of the mind, the more the merrier. I do keep the mics open as long as people respect other people who are on. Um, you know, not talk over people, things of that nature. I try my best uh, to bring uh, things around as part of what we call our roundtable here on Bard's Logic. Uh, so uh, we're going to bring it to Bianchi, and then we have Sarge, and then we have Ed. We, we, we have other callers on the line. Just push the one on your number dial. Uh, we'll get you into the program. we still got a little, uh, a little under uh, two and a half hours, so there's still plenty of time uh, out there, folks. So let's go ahead and bring in uh, Bianchi. Uh, thank you very much, Bianchi, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? 
Well, I'm doing fine, and uh, you really got a good treat tonight. You got three black conservatives in a row that love the United States. And before I get started, I want to say something I should have said to you Monday. I want to wish everybody a happy Patriots Day. That should be a national holiday here in the United States. But getting back to different topics. One, Maxine Waters is by one of the ignorant old people. You know, you see ignorance in young people, but this woman is old, and she's still acting an embarrassing clown. The things that she have done and to incite a riot is beyond repute. Another thing, you want to talk about double and triple standards, and I do agree that whites need to get out and start doing some protesting. And, you know, it would be nice to march through a shopping area and rather than busting out the windows, have a washer, rag and towel and wash windows. Now, wouldn't that be different? And protest what it is, and there's many things that should be protested. And make sure that when we do have those marches and those protests, we have some young Bulls standing around our elderly because you know the Antifa and the Black Lives Matter, just like predatory animals, they always go after the weakest ones and they try to do harm to them. And this birthday party that was in Georgia, now isn't this also something? I hear people complain about the blue wall of silence. Here you have 60 people at this party, this is a black party it's in Louisiana. And what about the black wall of silence? Nobody says anything. No complaints, no anything at all. It just goes to show you. But anyway, you got more knowledgeable people than I that's coming on. And they usually have great things to talk about. Bring on Sarge. Uh, we'll bring, go ahead bring on Sarge, uh, our Skype caller here. Um, and we'll keep, uh, you know, as I said, we, we keep your mics open as long as there's no background noise and people don't talk over each other. Uh, but we do like to try to bring, you know, things back around, that, you know, if anyone wants to make comment on, um, you know, when anyone else is, is said there. Uh, so let's go ahead, as you as you requested, uh, Bianca, let's go ahead and bring in uh, Sarge. Then we have Ed next. Uh, but thank you very much, Sarge, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Yeah, uh, you're quite welcome, sir. And I'm I'm very I'm very pleased to be speaking to like-minded people in this moment of dire national peril. I just heard Brother Pianchi, one of the uh, one of the finer intellects here on Blog Talk Radio, and I'd like to follow my two cents if I might. Sure, go ahead, sir. Yeah, look, I'm a Vietnam combat vet. I was a mechanized infantry squad leader with one unit, and tank commander with another. After four years active duty, I spent 21 years in the Illinois Army National Guard. I got called up for Gulf War I, Operation Iraqi Freedom. I was a state policeman, certified firearms and use of force instructor, SWAT team patrol. I was never assigned to formal investigations, but I, I mean, I never was detailed to formal investigations, but I was assigned to work on them. And so I, I got kind of a, a, a multi-phase view of all this. And I'd just like to say, We have just witnessed the most dangerous terrorist threat in the United States today by larger mansions, otherwise known as Black Lives Matter, uh, as they subvert the rule of law through intimidation, extortion, boycott, and most of all, anarchic violence 
in their ultimate quest to fundamentally, and I'm not going to say transform, transmogrify this nation from a constitutional republic into a Marxist superstate that's a subsidiary of the globalists that are engineering this thing called the Great Reset. Now, what tools are they using to do this? Critical race theory, intersectionalism, cultural Marxism, radical egalitarian feminism, homosexual fascism, dialectical materialism, and every one of the baleful tools that Bolsheviks have used since 1917 up till now, inspired by people who set up the Institute for Social Research in the 1920s, the Gramscians and all the rest of their ilk, the Cloward Pivens, the Alinskys, the whole bunch. And their home, their political home, is a modern-day uh, Democratic Party with all the progressive, demented, lunatic radicals that are engineering uh, this thing with their hands up, bite me, rear end, moving his mouth. It's beyond belief what I'm looking at here. But I tell you one thing. Now you want to what? What do we do about it? Well, I don't know. Uh, you kind of hinted at it. I don't know how far he's willing to go, and I want to be very careful in what I'm saying. I understand the need for circumspection, but he he just referred to Patriots Day. Patriots Day commemorates April 19th, 1775. It was the Battle of Lexington and Concord. It was the catalyst that brought, started the American Revolution. And what happened was the British decided to conduct a huge exercise in gun control. And that's what set it all off. It was a catalyst. There were other things that were made the pot simmer, but it came to a complete boil when they did that. And there was no turning back from that. Now, I don't know what our equivalent event will be in 2021 or 2022 or 23, 24, I know this much, that if we do not do something to reverse this tide, this tide of tyranny, and that's what I see coming. I mean tyranny. I never, I never thought this way before until the last two or three years. Never. Yep. Now I do. I believe, unless we do something to do that, we are headed for a, for a certain future of serfdom and new-style slavery. Uh, Sarge, the problem is is of uh, the medications and the diet are making American men docile, unready to fight, unwilling. The majority, because of the medications, the diet, it's it, it, it's like the globalists have we're in the they have the perfect situation to to execute what they want to execute because the medic you know. Americans are very domesticated and docile. That's our problem. You know, that's our problem. Well, well, we may it's have a, a problem, you know. sir, but look, I, I'd like to say this. See, even during the Revolutionary War, everyone wasn't involved. I believe that most people who say people who were actively involved in the struggle was probably 20%, maybe a little bit more of the population at the time, and people who are actively in uniform as combatants was much less than that. So you don't need everyone. What you need to find is those who are not willing to accept serfdom and slavery. And they get organized. And they have to be resolute. After all, how much of the Continental Army did George Washington lose in the first winter up until Valley Forge? Most of it. 
you know, summer, summer soldier and the sunshine patriot, how many of them were winter soldiers? Not that many. But those men, with their courage and their fortitude, were able to prevail. There aren't many human beings like that in any struggle, any struggle. But you know what? They're there. There's 330 million people in this country. No one can tell me, no one, that there are not at least 5 to 8 million men willing to fight to preserve our liberty and our Constitution. I will never believe that they're not. There probably are more. And that's all we will need, a dedicated core, properly organized, and who are resolute. And, yes, they may have to face the possibility of dying. Here's my concern, here's my concern with that, uh, Sarge, and, and I agree with you. And I, and I agree. I think there are, there, I think there are men out there. And those and, – and, Again, this is just my thought on it. This is just my opinion on it. But I think those men are in, in some part to be found in, you know, I don't know a lot about the Proud Boys, but the Oath Keepers especially. We, we had the founder, uh, Stuart Rhodes, of the Oath Keepers on here years ago. I, I've been trying to reach back out to him. Of course, there's a lot of controversy going on uh, with, uh, the Oath Keepers, you know, with what happened on, on January 6th with the media and the Biden regime's uh, Department of Ju- uh, uh, Justice, which I'm, I'm referring to the American Gestapo. And my concern is, is I think they're out there, but you ha- my concern is, do we have, and let me get people's thoughts on this, is do we have a Justice Department in, my, in the media that supports them? Which is basically the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party, which is becoming more and more, you know, like like China, uh, the, you know, the Communist Party. In that, they're going after these guys. They, they're going after Matt Gates. They're going after uh, the people from the Oath Keepers. Uh, so, if you show your patriotism, or you show that you're going to protect the Constitution, you're going to protect this republic. You have the you basically have the government at this point coming after you. That's my you concern. Have just, um, yeah, you have just highlighted one of the most critical of the problems that we face. We saw a com- near complete and total failure of the Department of Justice to crack down on clear, un, un, almost undisputed, probable causes to go after the swamp creatures inhabiting the federal government who actively tried to usurp the presidency of one of the greatest presidents of my lifetime, Donald John Trump. And I'm not talking about just one thing. I'm talking about repeated offenses against the Constitution and statutory law over and over again at the highest levels of the government and the intelligence agencies of this country. I'm talking about the FBI, the CIA, the DIA, the uh, you name it, the alphabet soup agency. It was there in Congress, in the Intelligence Committees, in the Speaker of the House's office, in everything, every level. The powers arrayed him literally committed violence, laces the law, and I see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, attorney generals, 
could not find anything to even even convene a grand jury for. It was beyond belief. And now we see them attempting to label what happened on January 6th, not just as riotous behavior, which I will admit that it was, but they're now attempting to characterize it as an insurrection. And if you look at the charge sheet of the 160 or so people they arrested and charged, there is not one single person on that list that has been charged with either insurrection or sedition. But yet and still, they continue to try to characterize it, while we still have no official accounting of why Ashley Babbitt was killed and even who killed her. Now, this is beyond belief what I'm saying. We are witnessing a failure of the institutions of government to protect those of us who believe we're in peril from the radical cultural Marxist and Marxist left. It's almost a total collapse of their obligations to protect this nation and defend this Constitution. Look, as a National Guardsman, a soldier, and a police officer, I forget exactly how many times I took the oath of office to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. I still feel that I'm bound by it. I don't know what I'm going to do to precisely express my obligation to continue to defend that document, but I still believe I'm bound by it, and we will see. And we will see what's going to happen in this country with these wicked, depraved, insane, and lunatic people who want to subvert this nation. Because I've never seen it this bad. I went through the 60s. I went through the anti-war movement. I went through the civil rights movement. I went through all that turmoil. Nothing was like we're looking here today. It's literally Orwellian. It's like we're living through Animal Farm in 1984 every single day. Absolutely, Sarge. And another thing is, um, Deutsche Bank. Look at what Deutsche Bank did to Donald Trump. They we, we shut down your bank account, sending a message to conservatives. You open your mouth big enough, we're going to shut your bank account down. And also look at the book of Revelation. What does it say? You cannot buy or sell without the mark. That sounds like a banking institution <laughs> policy or law. That sounds like censorship. The mark of the beast sounds like censorship to me. And what do we have now? We have Deutsche Bank telling former President Donald Trump, we shut your bank account down. That's how powerful we are. You open your mouth. You run your mouth. You create a, 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 a color revolution against the globalists. We're going to shut your bank account down. So, so, Sarge, we also need conservative banking and financial institutions. Uh, businesses as well, so we don't have to worry about. Well, look, look, sir. We've we've got right now. We've got a brown shirt army wearing black, but they are in spirit and in intentions. They are akin and almost exactly the same as Hitler's brown shirt essay, the Sturm Abteilung, that rampaged through city streets of Berlin in 1930s. They are the same mindset. They are not anti-fascists. They are fascists. And we're witnessing them bringing their same kind of intimidation, extortion, and threat of violence that they did. And you know what Hitler did? Guess what Hitler did in response to his own brown shirts? To give you an example of what might happen to these clowns. See, they got so out of hand that the people in the, in, in the, the German institutions like the uh, army, and uh, 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 particularly the army and the church and everyone else said, look, these people have to be reined in. People like Ernst Rome, who wanted to replace the army with the SA, and they wanted to supplant it because they were much bigger than the army was. 
And everybody started getting nervous. So Hitler said, okay, I, you know, I'm going to calm down all your fears. I'm going to rein in my brown shirt stormtroopers. I'll give you the SS. And the SS came and rounded them up and, that, and took them out in the in yard and executed about 500 of them, along with other enemies of the Nazi party. And lo and behold, they got an even more rigorous and more tyrannical regime as a result. See, these little stupid brown shirts running around the streets, they don't know what might be in store for them because revolutions always eat their own, always do, as they seek to tyrannize the rest of us. They come in and say, well, we're going to restore order. Here's what we're going to do. You know, look at their assaults on the Second Amendment. Look at all what they're doing. Now they're talking about consolidating power. Have you seen this new thing called the George Floyd Police Act? Well, I haven't got the title yeah. right, but you know, it's, it's, it, they're using George Floyd's name to reform the police. They are talking just as they did with the elections. They are seeking to nationalize the police force like they're seeking to nationalize national elections that the Constitution says must not be nationalized. They have to be done at the state level. Each individual state elects a president. Each individual state. That's what it says in the Constitution, Article 2, Section 3. But no, they want to federalize and nationalize elections. They want to nationalize the police force, you know, like what the Nazis did. Well, the first thing they did, they sent Ermann Goering out to become chief of the Prussian police, who became chief of the Prussian police. Then he brought all the other police agencies to Germany, like the Staatspolizei and the Ordnungspolizei and the Kriminalpolizei, and he incorporated it into, guess what, the Gestapo, the Geheimenstaatspolizei. See, that's what this is going to. And we're looking right up here with my fat, dumb, and happy and saying, well, you know, Trump is changing. Not much we can do about it. You know, those who don't read history and understand history are going to be condemned to repeat it. And we are in the process right now of ignoring history, and they're treating us like we're dogs who have the same historical memory as dogs do. They forgot yesterday that you kicked them around a little bit and come to you, and today they're coming back to you looking to lick your hand. And they think we're like those dogs, and too many of us are. Until I've never seen things this bad. We've got a national political party that literally controls both branches of the two, the two elected branches of the federal government and now are seeking to gain control of the third, which is not supposed to be political at all. They're going to pack it with reliable toadies who will give them the judicial results that they seek and then with that in hand, they will legalize the tyrannical takeover of the United States and turn us into a one-party state. We and better wake up. And we've been, yeah, I've been saying that for, for, for quite some time, that, that this is happening. And I, I mean, I've been, like, I've been following things for about 40 years, and I've, I've never seen like this. And, and I think what they – and we're going to bring Ed in shortly. Again, we'll keep everybody's mics open because you know, I'm sure we're all going to want to – have a conversation. Then after Ed, we have Kelly. Again, we got plenty of time. We got about uh, two hours left of the program, so we got plenty of time here, guys and gals uh, who are out there listening. Uh, but yeah, we, we've been said that they wanted to bring us like a, a China-style government where you have rule by one, not only rule by one party, but you also have a media, which is their propaganda arm, which is uh, protecting them and trying to hide uh, information uh, from the people. But we're, we're going to come back to all that, but I do want to get uh, Ed's take on, on these and then Kelly. And, of course, uh, you know, we'll bring things back around to our, 
you know, all of our other callers we have here on our roundtable discussion. Uh, so let's go ahead and welcome Ed. Thank you very much, Ed, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? All right. Hey, uh, I'd like first say, give me liberty or give me death. And this is Ed, the Anti-Federalists. The Anti-Federalists were the people that wrote in response to the Federalist Papers. They didn't really want the uh, Constitution ratified, especially without a Bill of Rights. And oh, Patrick wow, Henry, of course. Oh, wow, have heard from you in a long Patrick, time, my friend. <laughs> yeah, it's been four or five years. But Yeah, welcome back. But anyways, yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick Henry. Patrick Henry said, he, he said, going to the ratification debates, he says, I see a day when this government will become so big and some so strong, the central government you're trying to make, it's going to come to your houses and your cellar and measure everything you're going to eat, drink, and wear. And he said it in front of Madison and Washington. Of course, Jefferson was uh, over in France at the time. But anyways... The anti federalists really didn't want the Constitution because they wanted decentralization of power. They wanted states' rights, local rights, community rights, you know, where we, we take care of our own and take care of the local. But what we do and everything, you know, the district of corruption, the district of creeps, whatever you want to call them, their, their decentralization of power. The battle's always been between those who want to centralize power and those who want to decentralize power. And you're talking about a one-party system? We already had it. There's so much difference between Democrats and Republicans. Republicans have been backstabbing. They backstabbed Trump the whole way through. If you think Jeff Sessions and Ruby Ho and it Romney and Itch and McDonald are the answer, you're crazy. There is a Republican Party that's not the answer. I do recommend... Two things after this trial. One is FIJA, the Polling Jury Jury Association. Because you know what? Twelve people felt that way. They heard the evidence, and I trust them. Just like I trust the people that that are listening now. You know, it's up to us to make these decisions. And, you know, law has to be taken to a trial by jury. And, you know, sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. But the majority of the time, it's better to have those people than Biden or or the Chinese government or somebody else. At least we can rely on ourselves to try to get it right. Now, uh, besides FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association.org, go to FIJA, F-I-J-A.org, get that information. Another book you can PDF right now, a libertarian book. It's called Government. The biggest scam in history exposed. It's free, PDF, lots of good information. Government, the biggest scam in history exposed. It just shows you how the Democratic Party is just like Hitler. And this is what we're up against. It's not an easy thing. But, you know, we got to realize the Bill of Rights is actually the canary in the coal mine. Because we have unalienable rights from the Declaration of Independence and from God. But the Bill of Rights written down to say, hey, when they start attacking the right to bear arms, your right to trial by jury, your state's rights, your local rights, that's when we got to stand up. And hopefully, you know, we're going to have enough people to stand up and say, give me liberty or give me death. 
and I'll turn it back over to you. Well, we got one more uh, you know, person to, to bring in, and if, we might get some other callers come in to, to, to join our roundtable discussion. But we'll bring in Kelly, and then we'll bring things back up uh, around to to you, Steve, and then Joseph, and then we'll bring it uh, back around. Or if you know, when someone you know, brings something up, someone wants to chime in, you know, just let us know. And you know, generally we're pretty open with with that. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in Kelly. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing very good, very good. Um, yeah, boy, a lot of good discussion tonight. Um, you know I'm a libertarian for some new people, and I've been accused of being a constitutional scholar. There's a lot more behind the Constitution. I love what Thomas Jefferson said. I consider trial by jury. He wrote this in a letter to Thomas Paine when Thomas Paine was trying to help the French Revolution to set up a government. Uh, July 2nd, 1790, I think it was, he wrote, um, I consider trial by jury as the only anchor ever yet imagined by man by which a government can be held to the principles of its constitution. And I want to get into the um, George Floyd slash Chauvin trial. But before I do that, I wanted to talk about <clears> – <throat> What I'm sensing is fear from the previous caller. Yes, our government's gotten bigger. Libertarians absolutely do not like big government. And uh, <clears throat> when Trump got elected, I had a client. And I do engineering. I had a client. She was all freaking out that that Donald Trump was the second coming of Adolf Hitler. And I'm seeing some yeah, of these concerns. Yeah, I had a friend like that too. Even, it cost me our friendship. Oh, yeah. I've even t- – I, I asked other people, and oh, yeah, yeah. I think Donald Trump is the second coming of Adolf Hitler. I'm like, dude, seriously? All right, so I'm sensing some fear, too. Where is Biden going to take our government? How many executive orders? There's some concerns. Well, our system is completely different from uh, Nazi Germany. First thing that happened, the Weimar Republic terminated trial by jury in 1924. Weimar Republic was the precursor to the Nazi regime. And uh, within 20 years, 20 million people were murdered. <clears throat> That's what happens when you get rid of trial by jury. When you compare America to, to Nazi Germany, there's an incredible amount of checks and balances that Germany never had. We have 50 states, and we have uh, a, a, a writing by uh, Justice Scalia. It's Prince versus U.S. And he wrote in there, in this country, we have a system of dual sovereignty. Sovereignty, uh, states versus federal, to keep each other in check. That was a system that pretty much wasn't in Nazi Germany at all. Um, yeah, they had their different regions, and uh, and by the way, Germany was a new country. So you go back to the 1400s, 1500s, it was Germanic tribes, and then you had castles, and then you had um, Bismarck, who unified the country in about 1865. So it was a fledgling country that didn't have constitutional provisions as we did. Didn't have trial. Well, they had trial by jury from Bismarck until 1924. They didn't have a grand jury. We have a grand jury that was uh, key, critical in taking out a president. That would be Richard M. Nixon. Um, a grand jury holds government accountable, and they are convened. They are existing all over the country, states and federal. 
So that's the second system of accountability every now. On average, every session of Congress, there's a congressman indicted by a grand jury. During Trump's session, there was uh, two Republicans that were held to account by the grand jury. So we have that system Germany didn't have. We have 50 states. Um, we have due process of law. And uh, what is different in Germany? In Germany, the Nazi party in control of, the, of, of all politics, the Reichstag, okay? Uh, that was your parliament. And you had the Night of the Long Knives, a gentleman earlier referred to, uh, 500 people killed. Well, in America, we have this thing called impeachment. You know, so Trump gives an, uh, a speech, and then they want to try to impeach him for that. Hitler, even if they had impeachment, the Reichstag would not have approved it because the Nazis – it was a one-party system. It was a one-party system. Um, we have – we cannot have standing armies in times of peace. That's the Third Amendment. We have – everybody has the right to own firearms. In Nazi Germany, only if you were a party devotee would you be allowed to own a gun. And, of course, they confiscated guns back then. We have a Supreme Court that backs up our right to guns. I could go on for another half hour on the comparison of Nazi Germany versus America. Our structure is such that we will weather um, probably another four years of a bad uh, president. So we have um, – and I liked Trump. He did a lot of uh, really good things. Um, yes, we're having problems with – Illegal getting flooded in. We, you know, we've got probably sleeper cells of who knows what terrorist group from what other country. We have problems, but we also have so much local control um, and our liberties, and we have lawyers either on the left or the right that will sue when the Constitution is getting violated. Supreme Court steps in, sets things straight. Um, we have the rule of law as a long-established country, even going back before that, the, the British law system. Uh, from the 1600s, 1700s, et cetera, et cetera. So we are a longstanding rule of law. Um, so I'm I'm not so fearful because the, one of the first things that will happen if if a president I'm saying this generically, if a president and yes it's frightening how much power the federal government has, but if a president declares martial law. Pulls in the military, you're going to start to see, first of all, Texas will secede, probably Idaho. A number of states will follow. They've done it before. We weathered the Civil War as a nation, but states will secede, and then other states will join them. And you'll see a herd of people going to um, these states, Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, up into Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, et cetera, et cetera, Missouri. One state will take the lead, and um, – they did talk about – Rick Perry talked about secession uh, during the Obama era. He said, you know, we've uh, we seceded before, and we have to talk about it again now. He was pretty direct about it. And so we have numerous accountability systems that, that Nazi Germany didn't have. Um, so we are – as far as socialism, we are a hard nut to crack. Mike Lindell launched his Facebook equivalent social media thing. And uh, he had like 20 million – Monday it crashed for whatever reason, but he did a video, and 20 million people watched the video. So that is so encouraging. I mean we have the right to free speech, the freedom of the press, freedom of religion, 
There was a recent victory in the Supreme Court. Yeah, churches can meet during COVID. This is stupid. Supreme Court backed that up again. Um, free speech, Nazi Germany, you say too much, you're dead. Mao, you're dead. Uh, Russia, you were dead. Um, and, of course, the biggest thing is our right to keep and bear arms because you look at the longstanding history of nations that grabbed the guns, then they committed democide. Some would say genocide, but when a government kills its own people, it's called democide. So we still have our guns in the millions and billions. I mean, if we get into a civil war, we have a situation here where the right uh, loves their guns. They have millions and millions of guns and probably a billion rounds of ammunition. The left can't even figure out which bathroom to use. So the problem, the, the, the problem is, is that they're building the military, they're building two hundred million dollar robots, and the, guys, I have no doubt the majority of people on this line will never make it inside of a FEMA camp. Will end up dead because they're going to carpet bomb the Patriots. I think the Patriots will end up being carpet bombed. They got these robots. They're rolling out, and they have radar that can scan the entire street for guns inside your house. They have radar that can detect guns inside your house. They can scan an entire block. So it's because we have this high technology, and I think that's kind of why the Bible was saying great tribulation. Like the technology is so evil that can be used against humanity, it's going to be very hard to fight back. Because, man, they've got radar that can detect the, the guns inside your house now. I mean, they they have systems set in place. And so it's the Patriots, I mean, you have a shot, but if you wait too long, it's it's checkmate. That, that's where I, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Look, um, well, you, you have some yeah. really good points, sir, because the technology that is Adolf Hitler would be like a kid in a candy store um, in the wrong hands. Yeah, it's going to get really ugly. What? If we have a massive die-off from either the coronavirus or the corona vaccine, and all of a sudden things are in turmoil and we go into into the toilet economically, yeah, we could see some really serious problems. Um, we could see a lot of civil unrest that would justify the UN soldiers and the, the blue suits and the military. I mean, is that the way to take America down? Um well, um, when we are weak. Yeah, may I add something? Interject something here for a moment, please. Look, I understand yes, that analogies and allusions to Nazi Germany and the United States are somewhat inexact because the systems aren't exactly the same. But let's face it: the Nuremberg Laws of 1935 or 36 were arrived at legally. Jews were deprived of their rights as German citizens in a legal manner even though the genocide obviously wasn't approved by the text of the law itself, it nonetheless was able to occur because of the legal actions taken by the German government at the time. Now, here's the problem. Now, the caller correctly identified our constitutional system, our checks and balances, our separation of powers, and the text of the Constitution. As For instance, in Article 3, Section 1, it says, the judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. And right in Section 2, the very first sentence says, the judicial power 
shall extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States, etc., etc., etc. We had a case in this last election where there can be no doubt about it whatsoever. Even if you won't accept the fact that they did it, they were certainly standing to say that at least three to six states violated the Constitution of the United States, Article 2, Section 3, by changing the election law without the benefit and or consent of their state legislatures. We brought that, uh, it was an attempt to get that before, the, this has nothing to do with fraud, by the way. This has to do with simply whether or not they were following the Constitution in arriving at their electoral vote. Tried to get that for the Constitution, and at that point, the Constitution of the United States was nothing more than a piece of paper, because no one with the authority to do so chose to enforce it. The Supreme Court, that is called upon by the Supreme Court to hear crucial cases, did not hear one mm-hmm. of the most crucial cases that could have been presented to it. That's what Clarence Thomas said. He said that they owed it to the American people to at least hear the case out on the merits. And they didn't. So I'm saying that, you know, we have this map. Look, the Constitution is one of the most elegant elegant, and eloquent documents for good governance and liberty ever made by the mind of man, ever. But if it's not enforced, it's nothing more than words on a piece of paper. It takes people to enforce it. And it was not done, and it's not being done. And here's the thing. Here's why you know this is to be so. Because these people, when they propose these laws, like the George Floyd Policing Act, are not even asking, where do we get the constitutional authority to do this? Not that it's a good idea or a bad idea. The first thing you would think would come out of the little, little peanut brains is, do we have the constitutional authority to act this law or not? Clearly they do not. They've got no authority to tell the state they can't use a chokehold. That's for the state to decide. It's not a use of deadly force. It's a method of force like a baton or like a pain compliance hold or like a come along. The federal government's got no authority to tell them to do it, but that's in the bill, along with other things that infringe upon the federalist system we have set up of sovereignty of states and their authority to do enact laws and just about anything that the Constitution doesn't prohibit them from enacting. So that's the problem with it now, cowardice, a, a, a lack yes. of a, a fealty to duty. Yes, and, that's, and that is something that is an issue of human nature and courage. And unfortunately, it's sadly lacking. This great document may simply a trophy from lack of muscular use. You know, uh, yes, you absolutely... If I may say something. Go ahead, uh, Go ahead, Joseph. I understand where Kelly's coming from, and I do understand where Bianchi's coming from and Steve is coming from. Um, forgive me, I forget the other name of the caller. Uh, when they're referring to America is becoming and sounding like Nazi Germany, because I've stated that on the show many, many times. Uh, we're not there, but if you think about how we basically have a controlled state media – how basically big tech is censoring the right or any oppositional views to the left, how basically politicians 
such as uh, corrupt Maxine Waters can uh, go, have to, can play by a certain set of rules without any repercussions, but Donald Trump was at fault for inciting the January 6th riot. So we are getting to becoming Nazi Germany. Uh, not at the genocide part, but we are getting there. We've been there because once we become a one-state party, we're almost Nazi Germany. And all those checks and balances, right now, that's what the left's been doing for the longest time. They've been ignoring and made numerous violations on constitutionals. And I agree with what the last person just said about if an election can be stolen, if 81 million voters can be disenfranchised, those, uh, those uh, laws that were written to affect the outcome of the election were not constitutional. Well, I mean, if our politicians on the left right now as we speak are violating our constitution left and right, well, guess what? We are this closer to becoming Nazi Germany without the genocide. But make no mistake, if we allow the Dems to eliminate the Republicans and have a one-party rule, we will become Nazi Germany. We will <laughs> have the reason, a modern the day civil war. We are yes, this sir. much closer to becoming Nazi Germany, except we're not at the stage of genocide or rounding up people into uh, concentration camps because either they were homosexual or because they were deemed uh, mentally delayed. But make no mistake, everything the left is doing to suppress the right and everyday American patriots is exactly what Hitler did, exactly how the Third Reich came to power, exactly what's going on with these COVID passports, like I said last week, where you have to basically show that you've got your COVID vaccine just to be able to not be quarantined when you travel to other states, just like uh, partisans and Jews in Nazi Germany had to walk around with their identification papers. So if they were stopped by the, uh, the SS or the brown shirts or the police, they had to prove who they were identity-wise. So we're that close, except we have 2022. Now, yeah. no and remember, the, uh, if, the formal if, program of genocide didn't begin until December of 1942 at the Wannsee Conference. You know, they didn't start correct. off with a formalized program of oppression. Yeah, they, well, they were committing murder, but it was random and rather disorganized. Correct. But with the Wannsee Conference, correct. it was formalized. Absolutely. That was in 1942. And, uh, correct. Uh, I happen to love history. I'm a history buff. And so I, I do the Nazi analogy a lot because I, I love studying about the Holocaust. And you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. If you study how Hitler came to power, how the Third Reich came to power, how Hitler was appointed chancellor, uh, most people who don't study history, they have the presumption that Hitler came to power and on day one they started rounding up the Jews uh, they canceled, uh, they made it a one-party uh, media system. They suppressed free speech. No, that did not happen overnight. Make no mistake. That took years, like you were saying, to come into fruition. But it had a starting point. And Hitler came to power by tapping into the anger of so many Germans who were disenfranchised economically 
by the sanctions that were issued to them by France and uh, Great Britain after the, the Great War, and he was able to convince uh, the Aryan race and the German people that the German Jews were to blame for the, for the failureships of the government, uh, the Weimar Republic, and also for losing the Great War. And he did a great job of tapping into the anger of those German citizens who were not uh, who were Aryan and did not have any Jewish blood, and you know wanted to. They liked what they were hearing and they wanted to believe in it. They wanted the fatherland to be restored. They wanted Germany to you know uh, come back to greatness again. And so yes, we are this close to being Nazi Germany. Uh, we're, we're evolving into that if you study everything that the left is doing, uh, except for genocide. And, here, and here's the last thing I'm going to say. If 2022 or 2024 goes to the Democrats, which I don't see it going, I don't see them being able to rig it again, because the RNC is going to have eyes on the grounds everywhere in legal teams, because they realize that if it's rigged again, the GOP is extinct. They're out of power, and that, they're not willing to relinquish power. But I'm just saying hypothetically, if that's the scenario by 2024, not only do I predict a modern-day civil war, but it's the end of our country because the path is not sustainable past 2024 with complete control in the democratic hands, or who I'd like to call they're just as bad as the Nazis were. They're no better whatsoever. And I'll defer back to you. And here's, and here's another indication. Then we got Suzette on the line. We're going to get her in. Is, uh, is We just had a, a, a guy who in, in Virginia, he's a police lieutenant, lost his job for – Contributing twenty five dollars <laughs> to the legal defense fund of Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged, like you know, for killing people, which I I, I believe that was self defense on his case. But of course, he was charged. But you got people who are getting fired for one. I don't know how they 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 found out how he contributed to. Well, actually, he used an official email. That was a hook they used because he did it on official email that was provided by his department. So, they, so that's what they fired him for, his official email. Yeah, that was a, that was a ruse anyway, and I know it was a ruse, but that that is the official pretext they gave for firing him. That he didn't do it on his own email; he used it on a city or state email. Yeah, well, maybe he could try to find a way of suing them for wrongful termination. Uh, but we can, let's go ahead and um, bring in Suzette. Uh, thank you very much, Suzette, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Suzette, we got the line open. Thank you for uh, taking my call. I'm doing all right. Great discussion, you guys. I'm been listening. Um, but as you know, we're your not voice is kind of low, Suzette. Yeah, are you on a speakerphone, uh, Suzette? Because you sound kind of muffled. Kind of hard to hear. Let's see here. Okay, I'm going to try Okay, is that better? Much better. Oh, that's much better. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> uh, yes, as you know, we're not operating under constitutional law, but what we are operating under is Supreme Court law. And when I say that, I mean that the Supreme Court law interpretations, where you, which you can get at the Supreme Court website, is 4,000 pages long of law interpretation. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights is plain, and it and it should be ruled oh, under constitutional. What? Real quick, Somebody, uh, there's some shifting or someone or some kind of background noise. I don't know where it's coming from, but um, if you know that too, either you know, mute your phone. We'll, we'll certainly get you in, keep you in, but mute your phone so we can uh, limit that the background noise. Thank you. Uh, go, sorry about that, Suzette. Go ahead. That's okay. So the Constitution and the Bill of Rights combined is a little over 3,000 words versus the Supreme Court interpretations of law, which is 4,000 pages long. And so when so we're operating under Supreme Court law versus the Constitution. And that's where things can get crazy, and that's where um, I'm kind of picking up where Sarge left off at uh, with the um, – with the Constitution and what he was just saying a moment ago. And so basically we have Article 5 that can start to rein in the government powers. And Article 5, not a convention of states in, in the sense of redoing the Constitution, but a convention of states where we are choosing items, uh, issues that we all have to agree on which in this case, uh, 34 states have to agree on specific issues, which right now there is an organization that is working on this, and they have, um, what was it, 20, 28 states that have agreed and went through their state legislatures to pass the resolution. And so, you know, we're working on 34 states, California, and <laughs> we've got a lot of, we've got over 92,000 people now signed the petition for the Convention of States. And the three issues are basically to rein in their, um, their overreach and authority, the budget as far as the fiscal responsibility, and term limits. And so when you have, what is it, 28 states that agree on those three issues and have signed resolutions in their state legislatures, and they have to be done independently, we're not doing too bad. But they're, they're working, we're working vigorously because of the fact that this thing is just getting way out of hand too fast. And, and so I highly recommend that, you know, visit conventionofstates.com and sign that petition. And so when you get more people on that petition, then you take it to the state legislature and, um, and then you propose it and then they pass it, hopefully. So those are three and, items and that people can agree on. Sorry, go ahead. And Suzette, succeeding, and, and one thing, one big thing we should keep an eye on, too, is China owns a lot of land in Canada. And if it's true that the Democrat Party and China is working together uh, with Canada, South Africa, Israel, they're all working mm -hmm. together, mm -hmm. you have to keep an eye on Canada because you may have Chinese troops living in Canada. And it's been talked that there are Chinese troops living in Canada. So it's more about controlling people through a social credit score is what they have in China. If you drive right. crazy on the highway, it lowers your social credit score. You become an yes. enemy of the Chinese government, it lowers your social credit score. You lose a court case, it lowers your social credit score. So they, they can you get caught jaywalking. Through. Exactly. 
so they, they, they mm-hmm. want to institute that in America with hundreds of millions of cameras. So it's about how do you liberate yourself? Because see, if succession, you know, and then also keep in mind, if hundreds of millions of people are going to die from the vaccine, our country is going to be a lot smaller than, than what it is now. If if it is true that these vaccines are going to be very deadly within eighteen to twenty four months, within oh, six yeah. to twenty four no months, no doubt. Right now, the CDC report yeah. shows that all three vaccines right now are showing um, illnesses, uh, serious illnesses, and deaths. And they're not talking about it, but it's on their website that Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson and Johnson, and actually Johnson and Johnson is the minimalist one. Pfizer and Moderna are the highest ones that are having complications right now, but that, those are still being jabbed into people's arms. But um, exactly. to, to get back to your question, or if it was a question as far as how do we uh, separate yeah. ourselves or survive, basically there are groups that are forming right now, and I have links to three of them. And they're organizations, so this way as far as the, the vaccine mandate, if you work for an employer that's mandating you to vaccinate, you quit. Now, these groups are formed so this way you do entrepreneurship or business, so you do businesses with businesses like-minded, um, and also you um, produce and farming and all of that type of thing. So you'll be able to live without having to purchase anything from the grocery store or get a paycheck from a boss that's mandating you to get a vaccine um, or any of that type of thing. So it's an alternative to having to participate um, along with everybody else. So anyway, back to you, Robert. Well, and also, I, I think it's funny. Actually, I heard a uh, – I don't know if it was a commercial or what, where it made, it made me laugh, not because it was actually funny. It just – it made me laugh because how ridiculous it was. And it's like, whereas, you know, there are problems with the Johnson-Johnson vaccine, you know, people getting blood clots, uh, the benefits of getting the vaccine still outweigh – the possible dangers of the vaccine. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. You got a disease that's got a 98% survivability rate, a 98 plus percent survivability rate, and the benefit of, you know, the vaccine, which could give you a blood clot and kill you. You know, you probably have more. You probably have more of a chance. And I have, I'll be honest, I haven't done the math. I got the statistics. But you probably have more of a percentage of dying from the vaccine than actually dying from COVID. Exactly. There's a statistic that somebody someone should do. Look at the percentage. How many percentage of people die from the the virus and what percentage who died from the vaccine? Uh, The overall survival rate among all age groups is like 99.4.6%. And amongst the most vulnerable segment of the population, it's somewhere Mm -hmm. in the neighborhood of 96, over 96% survival rate. And that's what they have. And the COVID fascism makes no sense whatsoever. That's right. They have mild cases. And if you do, I'm sorry, if you do get sick, then they Uh do have treatments. So you're not forced, you know, to do the vaccine. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, but what I'm getting at, Sarge, is the, Republic, the Republican Party is going to win anyway if a lot of Democrats die from the vaccine. That's an automatic win. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not, they're not going to be alive. That's, that's what I'm saying. 
You can, the country's going to be smaller, and it's going to be easier to manage us that are alive because you're going to have a lot smaller country than you do now due to the vaccine. So the vaccine to soften us up, and there was a lady that got arrested in China, and she was screaming that everything is fake. And, and so if the China and the Democrat Party did conspire to kill off a lot of Americans with the vaccine, that succeeds mopping up. The leftovers is not going to be that hard when China's sitting on hundreds of millions of soldiers that's in the Chinese military, and they own a lot of land in Canada that China bought. And and there's already there's Chinese there's a Chinese uh, I think there's a Chinese military base in Canada right now actually. Well, look, I don't know if China is actively conspiring with Canada to uh, possibly I don't know invade the United States or whatever, but I know this much: the effect of it is just about the same. The Chinese government enlisted the aid of the World Health Organization to lie to the world about, one, the infection, probably the origins of the infection. They took actions that were contraindicated to good public health quarantine policy with regard to Wuhan province. They let people who were probably infected fly all over the world. Look at the outbreak that occurred in Italy as a result of workers that were working in there to set up factories in Italy and just fly unrestricted to the place. It had its same effect, whether they did it deliberately or not. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. They used COVID and the fallout from it, whether it was inadvertent, whether it was deliberate, it doesn't matter. They used it as a pretext and a cover to steal an election. They did. They set up all these unconstitutional laws to put in place to make it easier to enable election fraud, and they did exactly that along with the fact that they completely subverted the Constitution in order to create the laws that made it easier for them to steal it in the first place. It was the most breathtaking hoax outside of Obama not being a natural-born citizen and now Kamala Harris being allowed to assume the executive branch of government. It's the most breathtaking hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. Yes, but we have to remember, and this is one big criticism I have of President Trump. President Trump decided to go by the guidance of Dr. Fauci, and based on Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks, he did something that has never been done in any civilization. He shut down the nation's economy, and in response, the global economy was shut down. Before that, in the history of the Democratic Party or any political party, Democrats, especially governors, never had these powers. This is, they were in uncharted waters when they were granted these powers after the national shutdown. I'm really upset about President Trump is, A, if he would have never shut down the country to begin with, the economy, B, if he would have never had those quagmires, Fauci and Burke, C, then if the economy would have never shut down, then it would have never been deferred to the governors of different states to decide how to reopen and shut it. That, that would have never led to that. So that's probably going to be one of Trump's, if not his biggest Achilles heel, but it is what it is. But let's remember where it started. It was President Trump, as much as I love him, but it was President Trump who went by the guidance of Fauci and Burks and based on that did something that no other president in United States history ever did. He shut down our whole economy. 
Well, and I, I think you've got to be fair to President Trump. It's my well, understanding that the president doesn't have the authority to implement uh, public health policy in individual states. That was chosen by the governors based on the recommendations of the CDC and that hideous Dr. Fauci. They did it on based, too, on recommendations of the federal government. But I would have hoped, and I, which I didn't see, because remember, under our federal system, public quarantine policy is a matter of uh, individual states. Uh, and I, I got to admit, heretofore, in my study of epidemiology that I started as a result of all this craziness, I could not find one single instance in the history of the United States in the worst public health crisis where they ever quarantined large segments of the healthy population and locked down and prevented businesses from conducting semi-normal or normal business, unprecedented in the history of the United States. So I would have hoped that the Justice Department, which was a complete uh, you know, a disappointment, complete disappointment, and or President Trump would have initiated some sort of action using the Interstate Commerce Clause to say that many of these states were violating interstate commerce practices by activating these public health policies and not using as a pre that being the uh, rationale for the federal government to intervene and perhaps policies modified because there's no doubt that it affected interstate commerce. But they have the authority to do it. We've got to put the blame where it properly belongs. These governors instituted these executive orders and or their legislatures. Not Donald yes, Trump. He doesn't have the authority to do it. He never had the authority to do it. And he repeatedly said that he didn't. Well, and I thought it was interesting that when COVID first started, if you recall, and, and, and Trump was talking about the possibility of doing something nationally, that how fast did the left and the media kept saying, oh, he's, a, he's trying to be a dictator, he's trying to be a, you know, authoritarian, he don't have the right. Uh, the, the, <laughs> they would say, oh, well, the, the right and the Republicans like to talk all about states' rights, but what about the states' rights when it comes to, to COVID? Well, Trump backed off, uh, you know, from that. And I know that he had a lot of, uh, you know, conferences with Fauci and things of that nature in the beginning, you know, you've seen all those press conferences with Fauci there. Personally, I think that Trump, that, that they kind of forced Trump's hand, just especially here we are in a, be, be good or bad, we were in an election, we were in an election year, and, you know, people, we hate to admit it, but the, the so-called mainstream media, or I call the alphabet media, or more aptly named the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party, they they are very unfortunately they are very powerful, and they are still well able to manipulate the minds almost half this country. That that's a fact. They're they're still very powerful, and unfortunately, there's enough gullible people in the United States who will believe their lies. I mean, look 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 how they lied. And here's just a couple examples. Look how the media lied about uh, the phone call uh, with the uh, Secretary of State of Georgia. Didn't happen. Yeah. You know when it came. When it came. Look at the, uh, the the telephone call with Ukraine. Didn't happen. More recently, what, what about uh, when they were saying, "Oh, well, Russia or Putin was you know putting hits out on soldiers in Afghanistan," and then they pushed that. Oh, and making people think, "Oh, well, Trump." 
Trump's not doing anything about them putting hits, you know, Russia putting hits on America soldiers in Afghanistan. There was just a report the other day. It didn't happen. So the, the left lie all the time. The, the problem is, is they can lie with impunity, and you got practically half the nation that are so gullible as to believe them. Yeah. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying with the that, that's what I'm saying with the United Nations police force. These 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 police shootings keep occurring, or these, these killing of unarmed black men keep occurring. Oh, the United Nations police, we're going to treat you better. We're going to govern this country, and we're not going to do you like the local sheriffs will do you. I think this is a part of the programming to get Americans conditioned. Hey, we need a solution. We need to federalize the police force. We don't need local sheriffs anymore. Then the hardcore yeah. tyranny comes in with you get you get the vaccine shot, couple three shots a year, or you're going to a FEMA camp. One or the other. Yeah, you know, I was going to say something about that National Police Force. In 1875, Missouri Constitution read that the powers of the people over internal affairs, Constitution and form of government, that the people of this state have the inherent, sole, and exclusive right to regulate the internal government and police thereof. The regulation of police is within the states. It's going to be hell and high water for the federal government to try to take that over. But they're going to try. I guarantee you, they're going to, to some extent, well, I, they're going I, to attempt to nationalize police forces. Guarantee you. They're going to try. They already do. Read the uh, George Floyd Police Act. Read it. It's frightening. They're going to try to ban <laughs> chokeholds. That's up to the state. If they want to ban a chokehold, fine. Let them do mm-hmm. it. If they want to yeah. allow it, let them do it. It's got nothing to do with the federal government, but God's... See, they're using a moment of crisis. Like, what did Rahm Emanuel say? Never let a crisis go to waste. And, man, are they following that one. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they certainly are. His his brother, George Floyd's brother, his speech at the United Nations, and he said he wants the U.N. to disarm all of America. (laughs) (laughs) Unreal. We are living in an unreal Orwellian time like I've never seen. People give this kind of stuff credence, like it's profound. Oh, what eloquence, what passion, what emotion. Are you you not impressed? I mean, it's everywhere these days. This foolishness. You know, have you ever not noticed how when people ask questions about matters of public policy or almost anything else, they don't ask you what you think about it. They ask you, to, how do you feel about it? It's like we've, we've succumbed to this great feminization of everything. And I mean feminization in the classical sense. You know, uh, I mean, because let's face it, men and women are different, okay? I'm not going to back off from that. And as it, it doesn't mean one is better than the other. They have different strengths and virtues and weaknesses. And, and when they're asked this thing, it's almost as if they put it in this feminist manner, as if, you know, you're about to swoon over an issue. It's really, it's really disheartening. To, hey, you have a mind. Put it in gear, you know, and for issues that require linear thinking, try to think linearly and focus. Save the emotion for your children, your family, and your sense of patriotism or not. 
But everything is couched in terms of how you feel, not what you think. And, and increasingly, academia and education is becoming doctrines of uh, um, indo- uh, indoctrinations of passion uh, uh, generated or, or, or calculated to cause the tendency and proclivity to mob rule. It's much easier to inflame a mob by appealing to the sense of passion than it is to the sense of reason. And this is the way our, our children are being educated now. I mean, these people have college degrees, and they sound like, I don't know, valley girls. Let's it's not really, forget. Not, the- I don't know about what you guys think about it. I just say to myself, especially if they got a liberal arts education, it's not STEM, a STEM subject. I mean, listen to these people. I mean, my God, where do they get? Who educated or indoctrinated these people? Marxists in these colleges. Hell, I heard one show they wanted to have a psychologist to ride around with every damn police car. That's because <laughs> yeah. that's the degree they have. Oh, my God. Oh, that won't cost money. I thought they wanted to defund the police. How much are you going to pay the psychiatrist? And, and, you, know, and you know why. You, you do know why, Sarge. Because, see, you defund it so it's not paid by taxpayers. But it's a private, corporatized police force. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying, The globalist wants to pay the bills. So they do the bidding of the globalist to a corporate, private police force. So if that's wow. true, then what was their problem with Blackwater? They hated Blackwater, didn't they? They're a private army. They hated Blackwater. They were the biggest villains on the planet there for a while. Sarge, you got factions in this world that despise the United States from the downing of the Japanese Empire. What the United States did with with Germany, and so on and so on and so on. I mean, you can go back further than that. And they've been trying to destroy the fabric of this country. For a long time, and only a knowledgeable person will be able to recognize the movie that they are seeing before their eyes. Yes, yes. Uh, I'd say I'd really say it, the formal structure of this. Now, a lot of people date it back to uh, Tom, uh, John Dewey, and the progressive movement in the late 19th, early 20th century. It probably goes back a little further than that, but I say it really kicked into high gear. In the 1920s, with the Institute for Social Research, people like Georg Lukacs in Hungary and all those others who put their heads together in the think tanks and tried to figure out why the world didn't – only Russia had a Bolshevik revolution against the uh, uh, um, uh, capitalist masters in the wake of the slaughter of the First World War. They just couldn't figure out why there wasn't a great big proletariat uprising throughout the world against all of these things other than a few – uh, uh, monarchies and, and a few couple of empires. They couldn't understand why it wasn't general everywhere. And then they put their heads together and kind of figured it out. It's the institutions that perpetuate the sense of nationalism and loyalty and patriotism. Mainly, number one, the, nu- the nuclear heterosexual family. That was number one on their list to uh, 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 weaken or eliminate. Number two, the church. The church and religion. Another critical target. Then every other major institution that undergirds a country, police, 
the armed forces, uh, the political system, uh, you name it. They began it as well, but it was mainly cultural. It was cultural Marxism, which is economic Marxism, translated into cultural terms. And that's what they, we can see it in their language. They use mm-hmm. the language of Karl Marx. It's right there in Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto. They use that language. Well, they do this. Yep. It's right yep. in front of our faces. And obviously, oh, you're raising the communist boogeyman again. No, I'm not. Communism is a political expression of Marxism. I'm talking about outright Marxism under another guise. Marxism. Oh, not to mention they have um, communist.org. Um, they have a cell here. They have one in India. and They have one in Great Britain operating right now. And the Sunrise Movement is a part of that. And the Sunrise Movement, they were speaking along with the Democrats at their Green New Deal um, rollout yesterday. And the Green New Deal, they talked about it and what it was, and they're talking about sequestering agriculture to the benefit of mankind uh, to, so this way they can handle the food supply to the benefit, yeah, right. Um, and as far as business investments, uh, businesses, they'll be, you know, taking over those so this way they can create more jobs uh, at a higher wage where people will have a place to live, a home. Everybody will have a home, medical insurance, blah, blah, blah. You know, but um, but now they have the numbers to pass it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's scary. I was listening to it yesterday. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, well, I know. It's like it's like you go you go to Black Lives Matter a website, and one of the first things in their mission statement is the disruption of the nuclear family. They understand how yeah. critical it is. Cause guess what? When you completely disrupt the nuclear family, like they've pretty much done in the black community already. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you do that, then it's easier to replace that institution, the most critical building block of civilization, with guess what? Government. Everything is tuned toward more centralized power. Everything they want to do. Sorry, they're listed as a subset of the Communist Party um, on, as far as their affiliates. <laughs> so well, you know, me. back in the uh, <laughs> in the early 50s, uh, so I, you had that American Negro Co- Labor Congress, which was a, a front organization set up by the communists, yes. which was designed to, to trap naive, unwary, and idealistic Negroes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they had a school in New York where the members was training in street demonstration, inciting mob violence, how to fight the police and how to politically throw a brick and hide. Columbia so, University. Yeah. Yeah. And Manning yeah, Johnson, who wrote about it. All this is on a record. I mean, you know, fellow travelers are an important part, or an important part of the Soviet Union's, the old Soviet Union's attempt to overthrow the United States, to subvert it from within. Now, the Soviet Union collapsed, but all of those people just didn't vanish. They exactly. found new homes in other places. You know, the watermelons in the um, environmental movement, green on the outside and red on the inside, they're mm-hmm. part of it, too. And they all share, if you look at the languages they use, they all share this Marxist dialogue or monologue. They all, I mean, yep. they, they use words and phrases lifted from, you know, struggle, class. Uh, oppression. Um, you know, they mm. use these words over and over and again. It's right out of Das Kapital and the Communist Manifesto. 
It's universal, too, because in Africa, it's a culture war. Here in the United States, it's a race war. Race is oppression here in the United States, and there it is a culture war in, like, Africa, because there can't really be racism there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But you are Oh, everything is racism. Everything wrong in the world, everything, according to these people, is white supremacy and racism. Everything, all evils in mankind originate from there. Divide and conquer. But you are a carbon-based life form. Why do, you, why do they want to get rid of carbon dioxide for the Green New Deal? They want to get rid of humans. Mm-hmm. They want to get rid yeah, of humans. They are Malthusians, there's no doubt. They are pure Malthusians, yeah. man. They're, they're literally a cult of death. Yes. They literally are. I mean, everything about them is death-oriented. Real quick, I hate to interrupt the, the, the lively conversation, but I do need to make a programming note is that in about seven minutes uh, with the show, the way that the show set up, there will be another hour after the top of the hour. However, uh, if you're on a phone or something that uh, needs to make sure it's charged, uh, make sure it's fully charged because if you lose the, the call, unfortunately, you will not be able to call back in. So just make sure uh, everything's uh, up. So, unfortunately, that doesn't happen because, you, you know, and also if you're out there listening in the chat, uh, then if you'd like to listen to the uh, top of the hour, which we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark, uh, whereas uh, it's still a live program, still a part of our podcast, uh, you just won't be able to uh, listen in or call in unless you uh, call in now at 347 Seven four two eight, and again, don't let your your mics or phones drop, or unfortunately, you will not be able to call back in. Uh, but of course, if you came into the link, uh, it is appreciated if you know share the link out with your friends, whether it's on your social media or emails. Uh, certainly, like we have great conversations to love to have uh, a lot of other folks uh, hear a lot of the good conversation and information. Uh, I'm there's a, a while during the the program or on the program, I felt like you know I'm, I'm listening to a documentary here. With uh, all the information in, in history <laughs> that I'm hearing on the program. So I felt like, man, we almost have a, a mini documentary going on within the show. So I certainly appreciate it. But anyway, again, sorry for uh, interrupting uh, your lively conversation. I just want to make sure I was able to get that uh, programming note on. But uh, go ahead. Yeah, but, uh, there's but, one more thing I want to add before other people chime in. I'll make it quick as I can, if, if I might. And that is the, 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 the hijacking of language that these leftist progressives and cultural Marxists and woke-topians have done to us is just breathtaking. I mean, they literally have hijacked language, and they've got us all engaged in newspeak and doublethink. Again, right out of 1984. I mean, it's like they keep telling us things like war is peace, slavery is freedom, we've always been at war with East Asia, and all of these other contradictory madcap concepts, but by repeating them over and over and over and over again, many of us are beginning to accept it unblinkingly and unthinkingly. It is really uncanny to the extent they have literally uh, a transmogrified language itself. Uh, population reduction. Uh, It's really about reducing the numbers and bringing the population down and Mm-hmm. And the tree of liberty, the, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. So you, you really have to you have to die for your freedom. It's very unfortunate, 
that's just the way it has to be. Um, I know we enjoy these talk shows and things of that nature. And then Mark Twain, uh, in the beginning of a change, the patriot is a scarce man and brave and hated and scorned. When his cause succeeds, the timid join him, for then it costs nothing to be a patriot. People mm. want freedom for free. They mm. want it like it's cheap, like McDonald's food. It's just cheap to buy freedom. Doesn't it's, It doesn't work that way. And so the globalists are going to be on the other side. Hey, we're going to give you all these free benefits. We just need you to get two or three vaccine shots from Pfizer every year. But we're going to give you all these free goodies while Sarge... All he's trying to sell you is some freedom that doesn't work and it's going to get you infected with the with COVID nineteen. That's that's what they're that's what they're trying to sell. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. I got two purple hearts already. You know how it is to come close to being dead, and I know one thing from that experience and the things I saw all around me. I ain't getting out this life alive. And you got to figure there's got to be some hill you're willing to die on. And it may just come to that for most of us if we're going to be forced to a, 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 a decision between serfdom, slavery, or liberty. I mean, I'm sorry. I wish it wasn't like that, but life is hard. And sometimes so is death. We're facing something I don't think we've ever faced in living memory in the United States. Well, the people today, if you had to mount a contingent like we had that fought in the Pacific, it would be impossible. It'd just be impossible. <clears throat> I mean, you know, I mean, think about it for a minute now, folks. In in the in the eight months or so, nine months or so between the invasion of Normandy and the end of World War Two, about 150,000 GIs in eight months died in Northwest Europe. Think about that for a minute. 150,000. This that doesn't count all the other ones who had been killed. Prior to that, you know, the 26,000 or so died in the 8th Air Force alone. The people killed on the, the ships at sea, uh, the, the, the ones in, in Italy, 2,000 casualties in 36th Division just trying to cross the Rapido River. 2,000 in one day. You know, and remember, we got off lucky because 80% of the German army was tied up in Russia. And we had that much trouble with just 20% or less of it. So we really got off pretty good. I know I cannot think now, fact, that now we got the Ukrainian, I mean, the Russian army massed on the Ukrainian border in the Crimea. And now we've got China making noises about going into Taiwan. And, again, I, what I, I, I fear, now, and I'm not saying that we necessarily should get involved in these things, but it's probably inevitable that we will, and we have not faced a world-class army that can defeat this country on the battlefield since the winter of 1950 in Korea. It hasn't happened. We don't have any experience of it, and we think that war is a bunch of little raggedy guerrilla insurgencies. And that's not going to be the case against a world-class army that can project a similar battlefield capability to the United States on the battlefield. It'll be a whole different kettle of fish. Casualties that we haven't seen since 1945. And you don't want to be there when that happens. Well, look how many generals that, uh, look how many generals with the expertise that Obama retired or fired. You know, a George S. Patton just ain't born every day. This man captured over 250,000 Germans, 
control took control of a landmass the size of France. And then after all that was said and done, he was ready to go fight in the Pacific against the Japanese Empire. These people just don't come a dime a dozen. Well, yeah. here's what's worse now. The United States Armed Forces is undergoing a purge that is not dissimilar to what Joseph Stalin did to the Red Army in 1937, where he literally purged the ranks of the officer corps from brigade commander on up, sometimes even battalion commander on up, and many of the enlisted personnel. Prior to World War II and Operation Barbarossa with the Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union, the, the Red Army under Stalin executed over 55,000 of its own people to purgative ideological unreliables. We are undergoing our version of that with this crazy Secretary of Defense and this, uh, this, uh, this uh, um, um, uh, crusade to weed out extremists in the ranks. We're undergoing our own version of what they did to Marshal Tukhachevsky, the head of the uh, 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 Soviet Armed Forces, and all the people that were forward-thinking and innovative that would have blunted the effects that the German invasion had on Russia when they cut through the Russian army like a hot knife through butter because Stalin had installed politically reliable sycophants and incompetence to be in charge of the Red Army. If we do that to our armed forces, God, heaven help our people in the armed forces. Real quick, guys. Um, I just want to interject real quick. Now, I've heard a, a number of reports that they're actually making uh, our military take the COVID vaccine. Is that correct? No, some of the Marines in particular, I think there was a report out that something like 40 or 60 percent of the Marines were refusing to take it. They can't make them take it. Uh, I think uh, they might give them a direct order that they might have to. Now, there might be troubles with that because if they get a direct order to take a vaccine, they don't do it. They've disobeyed a direct order, and then we'll see if there's going to be court-martials or Article 15s or whatever. I mean, it's like, when you know, when I got mustered to go overseas, I was ordered to take these vaccines for dengue fever and typhus and all this other kind of stuff. And I didn't have any choice, but they told me I had to take it. Uh, otherwise, it'd be disobeying the direct order. I don't know if that's still in effect. They might have changed it, but if they get a direct order to take the vaccine, what's going to happen if they don't do it? They're going to court-martial these guys? Well, well, so well, under direct order, for now they're just being threatened that uh, some of their benefits of the GI Bill could be suspended if they don't take it. But for now, well, that, that, that would have what to come after punishment, though. See, they'd have to be well, either court-martialed or something. Because you just can't withhold somebody's benefits without a punishment that, that precedes it. So they have to go through some sort of formal adjudicatory procedure that would enable them to uh, 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 eliminate part or all of their benefits. Well, well, I, I think there's a back. From my understanding of it, and then I'm going to bring Kelly in, because Kelly's got a report for us um, with the, the Chauvin case, but so my understanding of it is what they're doing is they're actually threatening them. Again, I've I got to get some more you know, information reports on it, but they're threatening to them to, like, lose a rank, and you know, if, if they don't comply. Uh, well, that, that would come after would some sort of adjudication, like, like Martial or Article 15, but you've got to do that first. 
Okay. Now, Kelly, yeah. we go, Sorry, let's, let's go ahead and uh, we may well, we may be uh, come back to this, but Kelly, I know you want to do a report there, so let's go ahead and bring uh, Kelly back in for that. Well, yeah, I want to talk about the Chauvin trial of yesterday, and uh, I found that real interesting because I study law. I've actually beaten a number of traffic cases, and um, it helps people beat their cases. I'm helping somebody right now with another thing. Anyway, I really do appreciate law enforcement, and uh, I think it's Sarge. You were in National Guard, and you served in the military, and you were a law enforcement officer. I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your service to this country and your community because law enforcement is a very hard job. It produces civil order so we can live our lives in peace. When we live our lives in peace, we can create, we can invent, we can better other people's lives. So my total appreciation to you on that. Uh, thank you. Uh, I consider it an honor and a privilege to serve this country. I really do. I, I, I consider myself – I mean I wouldn't pay – you know, to have had the privilege to have served, but believe me, I'm not complaining about the fact that uh, you know, um, in some cases I was unappreciated and they didn't give a damn about it. Because I know it's the greatest country in the history of mankind, and I wouldn't have done anything any differently. No matter what problems I had with either the army or this government, I don't expect perfection in anything that is managed by human affairs, including this great country. Uh, it's still a great country, and it's worth putting all on the line for. Wow. True American. True American. I want to meet you in person and shake your hand. Wow. Um, so after I saw the verdict yesterday, and Chauvin is facing 75 years, Robert and I had a discussion about the situation. And... uh you know, Joseph started out with, you know, yeah, we know George Floyd had a bad criminal record, but he, he did serve his time. We look at the – and I wanted to get your input on this, uh, Sarge. Uh, but basically, um, Robert and I kind of had this – Robert was a little frustrated, and I was like – I was understanding of the situation because I don't have all the facts in front of me, but in general, I do trust the jury because they have all the facts. Um, <clears throat> there was, I think, 38 witnesses. And there was a bunch of films from different angles and all this kind of thing. And the night before, I, I texted my daughter and a, uh, a buddy named Brian. He's, uh, we've been uh, friends since college. He's a black guy, a really decent guy. Um, one of those few life connections that you have, you meet in college. Anyway, um, but I, text, I sent a text to both him and uh, my daughter that if I was a juror member, I would ask the hard question, was there any way to restrain George Floyd that did not result in death? Was there any other way? Um, I asked that because early on, early on, way back, I mean, the event happened in May, but early on, the uh, Chauvin and his defense attorney, uh, they were willing to do a, a plea deal to third degree. Well, uh, third I'm going to say something, sir. Uh, I have lost count of the number of times I had to go hand-to-hand with the resisting suspect. Now, thankfully, I never had to kill anyone as a police officer anyway. I thank God every day I never had to do that. As a firearms instructor, I trained people who did, and all of their shootings were ruled justifiable. But I didn't have to do it myself. Came close to it a few times, but never had to do it. 
But when it came to having to string somebody going hand-to-hand, I lost count. Now, when you wow. got someone who's like George Boyd, who had arterial sclerosis, coronary disease from a lifetime or not a near lifetime of drug abuse, and who is admitted on the tape, you can hear him on the tape when they're trying to roll him over at one point, he said, I ate too many drugs. Prior to going to the ground, he said, I can't breathe. People, both bystanders and officers, were noticing the foam coming out of his mouth that is indicative of pulmonary edema. Now, when you add all these factors up, together with, A, his health problems, his 300% more than the normal lethal dosage of fentanyl in his bloodstream, and the excited delirium, no doubt caused by his panic upon being arrested, with the attendant cortisol release from all the adrenaline coursing through his body, and his weakened circulatory system and heart, I agree with anyone who says that if he had not been arrested that day, he wouldn't have died. It's like a four-legged stool or a three-legged stool. you got to have all three factors there to keep the stool up. Take away any one of them, and he, he doesn't die, at least not that day. And I certainly agree that his arrest was contributory to his death. Now, here's where I depart from the conventional wisdom. I do not think that Derek Chavon's activities contributed directly to his death. I simply don't. I think he's guilty of something. He definitely isn't guilty of second-degree murder. At most, I think the charge he might have been guilty of is negligent manslaughter. At most. But I think the better charge would have been, uh, if it was Illinois law, it would be aggravated battery. That's what I think he might have been guilty of. I mean, the Minneapolis Police Department trained him in that restraint. He was certified in using that restraint. I've used that restraint myself many times. I have never applied it for that duration of time, which I think was the problem with his usage of it. Not that he used it, but with the duration of time that he used it. But again, uh, it's like I said earlier when I came on the show. I think we witnessed one of the greatest subversions of the rule of law by the greatest terrorist organization in the United States today, Black Lives Matter. Their intimidation, their extortion, their threats of violence, their uh, uh, a complete disregard of the rule of law with the complicity of high elected officials, particularly in the Democrat Party, contributed to this atmosphere that brought this result. And I'm telling you right now, Uh, I would have, even with the three-count guilty verdict from the jury, I wouldn't have had any problem necessarily with that if the judge had done everything in his power, which he did not do, to A, sequester that jury from the beginning of the trial, and number two, to move it to a different venue. Maybe even out of the state. I don't know. I guess I don't know if that's allowed for in the minutes. Minnesota law, but certainly a different venue within the state. But he didn't do that. And since that wasn't done, I am absolutely certain, beyond to a moral certainty, that the results and the decision of that jury, especially coming back as rapidly as it did, uh, did not ensure a fair trial for the defendant. And under our system of justice, the first consideration when a person is accused of a crime is due process for the defendant. 
Absolutely, Sarge. And then federal prison, federal excessive force charges. You can do a lot of time in federal prison in Muncie, Indiana, FBI. Three three police officers arrested. One of them is retired, facing 100 years in prison for excessive force. So there was a federal grand jury on, on Derek as well. And they were like, if the state takes care of it, we won't get involved. But if the state won't, the state of Minnesota doesn't take care of it, it's going to be federal excessive force charges. That, that The federal government was already planning that for Derek. If he did beat the state charges, he was going to be dealing with federal excessive force charges. Yeah. The laws are already on the books. It's people don't know the law, so they get excited. They go out there and they protest. They don't understand. The laws are already on the books. It's about people enforcing the law. The law's already there. It's already there. Yeah, I, I well, think this is. I really think this is pretty much a, a, a travesty of justice, and not because well, I think the man is innocent. I think the man is guilty of something. What he was convicted of, all of those charges? Heck, no, no. The murder charge is not at all. Well, I think he was guilty of negligent homicide. Yeah, well, that's what I think he was guilty of. Negligent homicide, right, kind of right, like right. this woman Kim Potter mistaking her firearm for a taser, for God's sake. If he does win in the appeal, if he does win the appeal, federal will still go forward with the excessive force charge. That's the Biden administration. They're they're going after a lot of police officers for excessive force now. They're starting to review. I want to put my hand up here, okay? All right, let me put my hand up. Because, well, let's look at the Rodney King situation. That wasn't dealt with locally. The federal grand jury indicted uh, the officers, okay? So you have two systems of accountability. I talked about that earlier, Prince versus U.S. Uh, Prince versus U.S. All right. The um, conditions of the situation, he had terrible health from excessive drug use and what have you. He may have died one, two, three years later if he was never – if he never had that tussle. Okay. Um, so – this is a very interesting scenario because I've looked into this some. I even looked up the Minnesota statutes, which he was convicted of, and there's some commentary. But in a high-profile case like this, the attorney general of Minnesota put together a team with the cooperation of Hennepin County, attorney there and the police, et cetera. They did put together a team. And when you have a high-profile case, what you have to do is you have to get the locals out of it, and you bring in independent prosecution. You bring in an independent judge. I don't know if the judge was independent, but it was a team of prosecutors, the state AT as well as uh, local. So there was quite a bit of cooperation there. Okay. Now, had he been healthy, we would never have heard of this. Um, nine nine minutes and 29 seconds, that was a little bit excessive. Just in the ethical sense, what was his training? I'm going through a number of factors here, okay, because of a unique situation. Um, is it ethical? There was a uh, – in, in my county here, in Siskiyou County, there was a Hornbrook shooting, and the guy was tased, but he wouldn't let go of the knife. He couldn't let go of the knife because he was tased. He had no muscle movement. And they shot him dead. The locals gathered rocks and stones, and they were throwing them at the sheriff's deputies 
And although what they did was quote-unquote legal, it was not ethical. And so that was an interesting – I looked into that too because it's really sad when you know, somebody commits a crime. He has rights, due process, and uh, reasonable force, not excessive force. It, it's, it's really hard to be a police officer. Now the question is how much training – did um, Chauvin have? Did he follow all of his training? I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't understand Minnesota law. I don't understand Minnesota training. Um, I go back to that question. Was there any other way to restrain him that would not have resulted in death? Well, I think a normal person may not have died, but he, he was foaming at the mouth. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. They did get him out of the police car to try to help him, but then he started to do some resistance things, and they got him on the ground. It's a very complicated thing. I generally generally go with the jury because they have seen everything that I don't, I didn't, and there's people can take sides. We've got a, a judge here, retired judge, who uh, helps with the homeless shelter, and he says, I am so tired of trial by media. Well, that's another factor. Did the media affect the jury? Is that grounds for appeal? The judge even talked about that. It's fascinating. So many facets to the whole thing. Um, but he, Chauvin is facing 75 years, 40 for uh, second-degree murder, which I'll read the statute right here. It's Minnesota statute 609.19, murder in the second degree. One, causes the death of a human being with intent to affect the death of that person or another, but without premeditation. I don't understand that. No, I, 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 I don't think you know. It's not gonna, I, I know the jury saw everything, but look, uh, I, well, again, my problem with the verdict is the pressure these jurors were under. And by the way, if that judge felt that that was enough to make a public comment on, why didn't he move for a mistrial? Because remember, the, the obligation of a judge is to ensure at all costs, a fair trial for the defendant. I don't know how it is possible when you got the President of the United States weighing in on it before they were sequestered, and that lunatic Maxine Waters, I don't think they heard her, because I think they were sequestered when she made the comment, but nobody polled the jury to find out if they did, in fact, hear her some kind of way or not. No one did, so we don't know. Maybe they did. But I'm saying that the judge's obligation is to ensure a fair trial, I think uh, uh, he he should have moved for a mistrial and told him they try to sing again, but he didn't. Yes, well, they, yes. well, well yes. during during but, jury selection, at least during jury selection, they should have sequestered the jury. Yes, well, agree. Yeah. But at at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what I was saying earlier in the show is, you know, George Floyd's criminal past is not on trial. It's whether that excessive force was warranted, and it's kind of just common sense. You don't put your knee on someone's throat for nine minutes while you have people in the background pleading with the officer to release that. Yeah, he was full of fentanyl, but he didn't have a dangerous weapon. Uh, They had three other officers that could have tried to tackle him in a more efficient way. I I believe that these cases are case by case, but on this one – Oh, that was just pure negligence. That was pure stupidity. All right, but again, let's look at the facts that were introduced at trial. 
The, the police chief agreed with the defense when he was asked about uh, a camera perspective bias and shown two points of view at simultaneous points in time from two different body cameras. That camera perspective bias from the one standpoint of the bystander who was, who was uh, filming it and from the body cam of the officer at exactly the same instance shows that Siobhan was applying the hold in the manner in which he was trained. And he agreed mm-hmm. with the defense that that appeared to be so. And then, number mm-hmm. two, got to remember that the medical examiner found no evidence of tissue damage to his airway. That's right. Okay? And, by the way, and I, oh, would agree wow. with you, I would agree with you completely that there was another way to restrain him. The way we used to do it when I was there, when I had someone like uh, George Floyd, we had hobbles where you could literally hogtie the guy. You got him in cuffs, you could take his, put the hobble around his wrist. You bend his legs up. You put the other hobble around his ankles. You pick him up like, uh, you know, using his uh, legs and wrists as a handle, and you put him on his stomach in the back of the car. We used to use that all the time. Yeah, we have to remember that. But we had hobbles in the back of the trunk in the squad car. We had hobbles. I wish to God they'd have had hobbles to use. Misery. A rubber bullet. I, see the rubber. That's one thing I do like about the LAPD. They will shoot you with a rubber bullet for resisting arrest. I. That's what I. Rec- that's what I want for all law enforcement. Hit them with a well, rubber bullet. Well, the use of force continuum the by the National Institute of Justice is kind of the model for most of the police departments in the nation. The National Institute of Justice came up with something they call the use of force continuum, and it gives you options you have for use of force for various levels of resistance whether it's passive resistance, like you tell them to get up and they're hanging onto the chair or the table and they won't get up. Pain compliance hold. Now, I would have tried a pain compliance hold on him, meaning I would have used uh, maybe a thumb in the uh, 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 mastoid process under the jaw, or I would have used uh, another a pressure point hold on, like, the brachial area of the arm, something to cause intense pain, and to get him to comply, move, and stop resisting, and sit down in the squad car so you put the seatbelt on him. I don't think they tried any of those. They just tried wrestling with him. Now, this is a matter of training. Now, one thing my department did I was really loved was that we had such excellent training, and it was continual. We had, and they, they put the money in the budget. But we had to qualify with our firearms every quarter, and we got regularly regular training in defensive tactics, I had to get a lot of it because I was an instructor. And I would have tried any one of those methods prior even to hobbling him because frequently they worked. Now, he had all these drugs in him, and, you know, when you got drugs, man, you know, you don't feel pain a lot of times. It might not have worked. There aren't any guarantees. People keep wanting these structural changes because something didn't work. Tasers really are one of the least effectual things you can use. I've seen it fail so many times in really high-stress, high-resistance incidents. I would prefer to use a baton than I'd use a taser. They just don't work much of the time. They work with a passively resisting suspect frequently. They work quite well. But when you've got a guy who's actively fighting you, frequently the tasers don't work with the damn. Remember that girl in Columbus, Ohio with the knife? Yeah. I would have shot yeah, her in the back question, with okay. a rubber bullet. Yeah. Well, let me ask I can't, you a question. I, can't hear you. What's that now? I would have shot her in the head. 
No, no. You look, when, when it got a situation like that, deadly force is a proper option. Because believe me, I was in a situation once at the Illinois State Psychiatric Institute where a subject who had been brought in for psychiatric evaluation disarmed, disarmed a Chicago police officer, got his gun, and he was in a corridor where there were people who were evaluating other patients. There were doctors and nurses in there. And we, were, we, we got stealthily, went into the corridor to try to get the doctors and nurses out so he wouldn't spot them and try to take them hostage. While we were doing so, he saw us and opened fire on us. Now, oh, we had just come back from the range, and the lead guy, a, a, a great officer who died, who died recently of diabetes, but he was one of the best officers I ever knew, Hispanic guy, great guy, loved him. He had a Remington 870 shotgun loaded with double O buck. He had Ooh. six rounds of double O buck, five in the magazine tube, one up the spout. And he had another cop behind him, a lieutenant, with a 9mm pistol. You know, 15 rounds in the magazine. When he opened up, I couldn't shoot because two officers in front of me had masked my field of fire, so I couldn't shoot. But um, but uh, Angel, that was the, the, the uh, cop with the uh, shotgun, he opened up on this guy, and he hit him four times in the torso from a range of about eight or nine feet, maybe 12. Hit him four times in the torso with double O buckshot. And they all hit torso hits and in his forearm. It probably severed his left forearm almost, tore out big chunks of his intestine, and really messed him up. And then the uh, uh, other cop was hitting him with 9-millimeter rounds in the torso. But I think he hit him nine times. Nine Ooh. times in the torso with 9-millimeter rounds. Do you realize this man, under the influence of PCP, kept shooting back the whole time those slugs were slamming into him? I watched the bullets hitting in a puff of dust, dust coming out from where the rounds hit. He was steadily shooting back the whole time. You see, the human body is incredibly tough. I've seen people in combat get hit with wounds you would not believe they could keep fighting with. We had a platoon sergeant took four rounds from an RBD light machine gun in the chest and kept leading the platoon uh, the rest of the day. He got this thing with service cross. So I'm just saying the human body is incredibly tough. That, the stuff you see in the movies ain't true. Somebody, sometimes you just drop like a stone and you're dead right then, right there. Other times you live with the most horrific wounds you can imagine. And you, but no matter what, when you got a situation like that copper was faced with and that woman swinging a knife at the person, the only thing that has an option to immediately stop that with a fair degree of certainty is deadly force delivered from a firearm to center mass or the head. Period. Yeah, because there's no other option. None. Wow. It, it's, wow. She took those she took them around to the to the center mass, but it's lucky that she went yeah, down right. because she could have stood she could have stayed there and stabbed the girl that she was trying to stab. Right. She had target fixation, Pianchi. That was clear. She was excluding those cops. She was involved in a phenomenon called tachypsychia and target fixation, and she was totally goal-oriented and fixated on her target. She was determined That's to stab that girl. Determined. That happened today, right? Can you explain a little more uh, about it? happened? happened the day before yesterday, didn't it? Day yesterday, okay. Day before yesterday, yeah. And the, the video is clear. I mean, the police are there. The woman in the pink, who was the intended victim, was walking toward the police. 
This girl, for whatever reason, maybe she was defending herself. I don't know. Maybe the other girl had initiated the conversation. I don't know. The police officer cannot know that. He only sees an imminent threat to a person who is not presenting the same imminent threat to the person who is presenting the imminent threat. He has to take action against that person based on what he knows at the time he takes the action. He doesn't have the time to sort it out. He literally had seconds. That was it. Right. Right. In California, so it was a, a justifiable homicide, regrettable. I regret that a 16-year-old girl with no prior criminal record, and apparently, according to people saying, was an honor student, lost her life. I regret it, and it's But sad. you know, the, the thing about that, you had some grown men standing around way before the police came. Exactly. How come they didn't intervene in that? Yeah. That's what my grandfather said. Mm-hmm. Dysfunction everywhere. Sorry to interrupt, but we are at the bottom of the hour. We only got about... Uh, about a half hour left. This show went fast. I really appreciate uh, uh, your input. And so, uh, of course, we'll have the, the show again next week. You're all welcome to join us. Um, I'm hoping to have uh, next week uh, our guest. Uh, she has to, has to confirm yet, but I'm hoping to have our guest Amy Murray on uh, next week. She was the uh, director of the Office of Small Businesses for the Department of Defense. Uh, for the Trump administration, so we're hoping to have her on uh, next week. Uh, she, she has agreed to come on. We're just trying to nail the date down. And then we are going to have a special edition of the show uh, that is going to be on May 10th, which is a Monday. It'll still be out the regular time, 10 p.m. Eastern. And we are going to have Jack Lombardi on the program, and he is going to be running in the uh, uh, Congressional District uh, 16. Uh, he's going to be running again in Illinois. He's going to be running against uh, Kinzinger, Adam Kinzinger, in the primary there. So he'll be uh, coming on for an interview about his campaign and current events. And that's going to take place on Monday, uh, May the 5th. So we'll be having him on. Uh, so in about 10 minutes, because we have so many folks on the line, I do like to give people a couple minutes for closing comments. At the end of the show, uh, before I have to close things out myself. Uh, but first, I found something that's kind of uh, I want to talk about briefly, and it's, it's kind of it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. And what I mean by that is that uh, as much as I hate Twitter, I spend I spend a good deal of time on it, uh, just because just to get a flavor of, 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 some, of things going out there. And I've seen a video. Uh, I guess it was today. I don't know what Kamala Harrison. And Biden, uh, we're, we're doing, I didn't listen to the audio, but there's a video out there where they're, they're getting ready to go in front of the media to talk about something. But the point is, is, if you watch this video, you actually see a strip of tape on the floor. Look for the video. I mean, if you could, like, I don't use Google. I use DuckDuckGo because I'm trying to get away from Google, anything Google. But... I'm actually watching a video where there's on the floor, so you have the podium in the middle of the video, right? And then off to the left, you see a piece of tape on the floor where you actually see Biden walk to that piece of tape and set his, his right foot on the tape, and then you see him walk towards the podium where Kamala Harris is at, and then he actually backs up to that, making sure he's standing right on that piece of tape that's on the floor, 
Like, it looks like they actually put a piece of tape on the floor to show Biden where he should stand. Unbelievable. Here it is, the president of these United States, and they actually have to put a piece of tape on the floor to show him where he's got to stand. Because he lives, he's literally standing right on top of that piece of tape. So they marked on the floor where he's supposed to stand. And if I'm watching the video even more closely, I think I actually see where he's walked to the podium. And Kamala Harris, um, no, I thought maybe she put a, a hand to make him step back. But it's just amazing that you have, who's supposed to be the president of the, the, the free world, the leader of the free world, the most powerful country in the United, in, in the, on the globe, and they got to put a piece of tape down to show this guy where to stand. And if that don't tell us how much danger the United States is in, how much peril we're in, and how weak we look, I just don't know what what else to say about that. I mean, is we got a Charlie McCarthy howdy doody dummy for a president. That's all there is to it. Hey, uh, I yeah, that's interesting, Robert. I wanted to. Um, throw out some comments here about uh, yesterday's three teenagers getting a fight and the knife. In California, I am allowed to use whatever force as necessary to stop violence. <clears throat> so as a citizen, if I walk up and I see a girl pulling up a knife about ready to stab a girl, I can shoot her, and it's affirmative an affirmative defense. Me as a citizen is protected when I'm protecting somebody else's life. So that's all fascinating. So, But I want to keep going on this whole thing because I, there might be reasons for appeal, not just the jury being not sequestered. But, okay, so here's – so 40 years from second-degree uh, conviction by a jury. This is murder in the third degree, and then we'll get to manslaughter. So – this is uh, Section A, whoever without intent to affect the death of any person causes the death of another by perpetrating an act eminently dangerous to others and evincing a depraved mind without regard for human life is guilty of murder in the third degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 25 years. So there's 25, 40 with, with the uh, second degree. Here we go to manslaughter in the second degree. Manslaughter, okay? A person who causes the death of another by any of the following means is guilty of manslaughter in the second degree and may be sentenced to imprisonment for not more than 10 years or to pay a fine of not more than 20000 or both. One, by the person's culpable negligence whereby the person created an unreasonable risk and consciously takes chances of causing death or great bodily harm to another. Early on, Chauvin and his defense attorney was willing to plead guilty to this. Now, that's understandable and it has 10 years. So what do we do here because there's there's so many details that I don't know. I do understand law in quite a number of ways. Um, was the jury tainted? Was there a, appeal available? Um, what will the judge sentence? Well, did the prosecution refuse the uh, offer of a guilty plea? 
What happened was, this is a surprise when I heard this. Bill Barr chimed in when Chauvin was willing to do a guilty plea, okay? He was willing to do the manslaughter guilty plea. Attorney General Barr said, no. No. What's he got to do with it? Yeah, it's on his jurisdiction. Well, see, he's the federal. He's the attorney general of the United States. He's not attorney general of Minnesota. I know because of the excessive force that the, the, the federal grand jury they they convene, and that's what I was saying earlier. If they they would say, okay, the state, if you take care of it, we don't have to get involved. But if you guys are not going to take care of it, then we'll get involved. That's well, let kind of them do what they're going to do. Hey, let them let the Minnesota authorities say we're going to take the plea. And let them do what they're gonna do. It's too, look, federal government sovereign, the state of Minnesota sovereign. Hey, let them do their things. Devil take the hindmost. He's hind gonna get a new trial. He's gonna get a new trial. The devil take the hindmost. I mean, this is crazy. We are, I mean, we are, we are living in a post-constitutional United States. It's a damn shame. Well, post-constitutional. You know, it's been that way a long time. Well, okay, so let's let's if there's going to be a retrial or an appeal, okay, let's have an unbiased jury that hasn't paid attention to the news, and let's find out. You know, my my bottom line, my bottom line here is fiat justitia ruat calium. That's Latin for let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Yeah, I agree with you. Here's the problem, though. Everybody is afraid. Cowardice reigns. Believe me, I know what cowardice is. I mean, I was in a situation one time where my lieutenant told me that I got to get my squad moving so we could get in position to cover by fire another squad that was trying to flank a bunker. I was scared to death. I couldn't move. I was scared to death. Couldn't hear anything. I could see the lieutenant's mouth screaming at me to get my squad up and moving. I'm scared to death. I ain't doing my job. He came over there and kicked me in my behind so hard, it shocked me into action. Why? Because I was scared to death. I'd just seen a guy get his arm blown off trying to take the bunker. I was scared to death. But somebody had to kick me in my behind to get me to get up and do my damn duty. I can understand being afraid. I've been there. Fear is a, is a natural occurrence. You still are supposed to do your job. That's why you're there. And what we'll get now is nothing but reasons to be afraid and cowardice. Well, you know, the thing that gets me is how they want to immoralize these criminals. You know, oh. if George, Flo- yeah, if George Floyd is a, yeah, if George Floyd is an example of a hero, what was Rosa, Rosa oh, Parks? Oh, God. It's deification huh? of the criminal. It's like extolling the lumpen proletariat, even Marx didn't trust the lumpen proletariat. That's the kind of guy that they would have characterized George Floyd as, Duante Wright, and all these other miscreants who resist the rest. You know, and they're deifying them. Now, look, you know, I, I think the police should be accountable for every citizen or person they kill, period, because the rule of law demands it. When you are a police officer and you use the authority that people have given you to kill another human being, you had better account to the last jot and tittle as to the reasons why you did it. I think that is essential. Having said that, I don't give a damn for George Floyd. I really don't. Neither, he was a dirtbag, a criminal, an armed <laughs> robber. He put a gun to the belly of a pregnant woman. 
He was a drug dealer, and look what he's caused the United States. I don't care about him at all or any of these other scumbags. But you know what? They were still human beings. They still the, the police have to be accountable to them and for them. That's why I'm still pissed about Ashley Babbitt. That's you the got, reason. I'm you got, uh, selective. All of this stuff is selective, and it stinks. What about Valerie Garrett saying that the police officer tried to de-escalate the girl with the knife before shooting her? What kind of an idiot moron is this fool? That's all I got to say to her. They had seconds to de-escalate, dummy. She's in the process of swinging the knife. I guess some people thought he should have used a taser. Of swinging the knife. Oh, hold on a minute there, uh, young lady. Would you mind de-escalating before you complete your swing of the knife? Good yeah, when, when, when you pull knives, yeah, when knives get involved, yeah, yeah, you're not, most people don't make it out alive. You're going to end up getting killed by law enforcement. Well, seriously injured. Seriously injured is enough rationale. I mean, she yeah. might not have died from the knife stab or multiple stabs or whatever she might have gotten. Mm-hmm. But is serious injury or death is the criteria. That's the criteria they for the use of deadly force in just about every state. Sarge, they want to turn the mob into the brown shirts. The mob is going, they want the mob to be the, the police in the future. Yeah, they're, they're, the shock, the they're the storm yeah, troops. The shock troops. That's what they are. They're, they're, they're the shock troops. Yeah, right. The computer report came back that he had a felony warrant. So how do a police that's pulled over a car run the tags? Re- computer report come back that there's a federal, that there's a felony warrant and give a description of gun violence and activity along with the name that comes up. So do you approach that car? You should call up backup, but do you approach that car <laughs> with a taser? You know, here's the problem with that. This is bad tactics in this case. Now, let, let me see. See, they'd already stopped the guy for the, for the tag. That's all they had on him at that point. They always stopped for the tag. And I think they were in the process of handcuffing when this goofy police officer who did the shooting Runs up waving a piece of paper she got off the pr- computer printer in the squad car and then announces loudly for him to hear he's got a warrant. Now, you know what? When I was on the job, we had code words for this kind of thing so you wouldn't alert the suspect. You know, we would say they, and they I remember it well. We and my partners at work, we had a little SOPs, you know, standard operations, tactics, techniques, and procedures. And we say, okay, you, get, you go, you find out the guy's got a warrant. And you want to alert me that you, you've got a warrant, but you don't want to let him know. Say, well, everything's clear with this guy. Looks like everything. Said, the words we would use were, looks like everything's clear with this guy. And then the response the, 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 for the other officer, my partner, let me know that he knew what I was that I that he knew what I was trying to convey to him was, I'm glad to see everything's okay with this guy. Then I know he's ready for me to make my move, and he's going to go for the opposite side of the guy that I go for. And it works every single time. I mean, every single time. Instead, this dummy comes running up to the car. She's got 26 years on the job. She comes running up to the car, waving to me and say, he's got a warrant. I just couldn't believe it when I found that. I couldn't believe it. I said, no, she didn't do that. Don't tell me she did that. But that's apparently what she did. And then, in a moment of parent panic, she got tachypsychia and target fixation and excluded all of the visual and auditory uh, clues that she had a firearm that weighs three times as much as her taser, which you have to draw 
from the same side as your gun hand, on the same side as your gun hand drawing hand, and she used that to tase the guy after yelling, taser, 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 so the other guys could step back so they wouldn't get shocked. And then she shoots him to death. Unbelievable. It just, just seems like I said, oh, my God, how, how, how? It's almost, if it wasn't so tragic, I would have to call it a comedy of errors. And, and, and speaking of, uh, well, not, not comedy or errors, but I, my error is I lost track of time here to listen to you guys. Um, we're also working on getting some, some other guests here. Uh, we're also working on getting uh, Omar Navarro on the show. Now, he is going to be uh, running against uh, Maxine Waters, so we're hoping to get uh, him onto the show. We're waiting uh, back oh. for uh, from his response, so we'll uh, see. But um, I'll keep uh, folks posted when I hear more. But anyway, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Again, you're all uh, – you know, invited back to join us on the show next week. Uh, if you came here via the link here on Blog Talk Radio, of course, always uh, much appreciated to uh, share the link with others on your social media and also your email. Um, or if it's on the podcast, if you're listening to uh, the podcast, of course, uh, Bard's Logic is available on many uh, platforms, iHeartRadio, uh, you know, podcasts that, you know, I listen to. Um, uh, it's also uh, – it's a, there's, there's just a number of them I can't get through all the list, and I don't want to take up your time. Uh, but definitely, if you have a podcast app, you've got a good shot of, of finding us on the podcast as well. So definitely share it out. Welcome to see us next week. But we only got, unfortunately, because, frankly, I, again, I was lost track of time listening to your conversations. Uh, we only got about a minute, I guess, left uh, for closing comments. I do like to get everyone on the call an opportunity to, to spend uh, a last minute to do that. Um, and here's how we'll do it down the line, basically, in the – uh, the way people call it. So we have Steve first, and then uh, Joseph, and then Bianchi, Sarge, uh, Ed, Kelly, and then Suzette. Uh, so again, I, I only give each one of you a minute, uh, but that's all we got before I have to close things out. But go ahead, Steve. Thank you. Uh, yes, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I really do wonder how powerful the globalists are. Um, because nations the most powerful coalition, uh, military coalition in the world. How many of the NATO countries uh, do the globalists, uh, are they in control of? And so that's kind of to me what it's going to come down to is is is, is how just how powerful are these globalists uh, with the mainstream media, China, uh, just how powerful they are, and that's going to determine. Make it. That's it's going to be. The future is going to be very interesting. Taiwan, China, Israel, Iran, uh, Russia. A lot of visions from people in the church about Russia attacking America with submarines, and a lot of lot of different angles on how it could happen. Just keep your faith in Christ, and I'll see you guys next Wednesday. You guys have a good night. Sounds good, Steve. Thank you very much. Go ahead, Joseph. I have to say this has actually been a blockbuster show. Uh, it's been f- amazing, amazing. Uh, all your shows are great, but just having uh, uh, Sarge on and having Steve on and having uh, Bianchi. Ed, Bianchi. Thank you. Bianchi on and having Suzette back. Welcome back, Suzette. 
Uh, this was a jam-packed show, so but I'm going to be really limited in my closing comments because I know we got to close it down. Um, well, I mean, you know, Sarge, he hit the nail on the head, uh, and he's someone who has served as a former police officer. Uh, he's been he served in the military, and there, there, there could have been more efficient ways that they could have uh, subdued um, George Floyd and, uh, you know, uh, lesson learned, yeah, you know, we could uh, go over a million scenarios of how the trial could have been, would have been different, or the charges could have been less significant, but I think the the whole point of it is uh, when are cops going to learn that you have to think before you act, you can't act on impulse, uh, and especially don't do it when three people are videotaping you and they're screaming to get off a person's neck. And uh, it also alludes to uh, the shooting where the cop, uh, I think her name is Potter, she mistook her taser for a gun. But, you know, we had Candace Owens who came out and said, you know, I respect law enforcement, but how does a veteran cop mistake a taser from a gun? It's a completely different feel. So we'll have more time to talk about this next week, but as I've said before, I think we need to address the elephant in the room when it comes to policing. Um, I think we need – I think the police forces need to recruit better quality candidates and have better training. But to do that, they need to start by offering a better salary. Um, you're not going to recruit the best and the brightest if you're just offering a $54,000 or $60,000 a year salary. Uh, it was a pleasure having you all on the show. I hope that you all come back next week. and. Um, well, um, we'll see what happens. God bless. Have a wonderful evening. And um, I'll see you all next week. Take care. Thank you very much, Joseph. Go ahead, Bianchi. Well, I think Steve asked the question, what is the globe is willing to pay or something to that effect? Or what's the prize worth? What is the United States worth? That there should be the answer. It's worth a whole lot. We have to protect it. You guys live safe this week. Talk to you later. Thank you very much, uh, Becky. Uh, you have a good week as well. Sarge, on to you. Yeah, I'd just like to say one thing here, that there's, uh, we are in the direst moment of uh, constitutional liberties I've ever seen in my lifetime, and that uh, everyone who has a concern for the, this, this republic and the liberties guaranteed by it and uh, uh, the creator God with our inalienable rights and liberties has to be on the alert every moment because the forces that are colluding to deny us that and this republic are everywhere and they are overwhelming. You have to be constantly vigilant and know what you're looking for to recognize it when you see it happening. Good luck with that. God bless, and all take all you take care. Thank you very much, uh, Sarge. Hope to see you again. I know Kelly would like uh, to speak more to you sometime off the uh, you know off the air, so maybe we'll be able to uh, make that happen. Go ahead, Ed. Yeah, well, globalists are nothing but bad law. And Edmund Burke said bad law is the worst form of tyranny. And we have a lot of bad law in the United States also. Take the 14th, 16th, 17th, 18th Amendments. Take the Federal Reserve Act. We need to keep fighting the bad laws. Take the whole democratic, you know, anti-common law. Let's have democratic um, Bullshit law, 
you know, we got to fight it. Bad law is what we're fighting. And, you know, if you look into the amendments, you'll see what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, the income tax amendment, that was the beginning of all this. And we need to fight that and everything else. We've got to tell people, hey, we got to get rid of the IRS. And it's got to go. And, you know, and I would suggest people, again, look at government, the biggest scam in history, that books online, and it deals with getting rid of bad law and bad government. Have a good one. Well, thank you very much, Ed. I appreciate it. Hope to see you guys uh, next week as well. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, Sarge, again, I have high respect for law enforcement because with law enforcement, we have civil order and we can live our lives in peace, create, love, help others. Um, I just realized something about the Chauvin-George Floyd situation. Uh, Chauvin showed up late. And he missed the heart of what was going on. The officers put him in the car. He says, I'm having trouble breathing. They got him out of the car. He's frothing at the mouth. He's got problems. Something's going on with his health. Chauvin shows up, takes over. He didn't see the heart of what was going on. It looks like he was evil and bad, but he missed the heart of what was going on. He did things according to his training. There was no damaged tissue in his throat. Chauvin missed the heart of what was going on. And we have a tragedy where George Floyd died. The media decides, oh, trial by media. Judge Langford retired, helps with the homeless. He says, I hate trial by media. They don't have the details. They don't know what's going on. But this is a different angle. I've looked at this from many different angles, many different perspectives, and I appreciate, Sarge, that you were able to tell us what it's like taking so many people to the ground that you can't even count. That's what it takes with some people. George Floyd's health wasn't so good, but Chauvin missed the heart of it, although ethically it looks really, really bad on Chauvin and the media may have influenced the jury, there will be appeals and it will be a challenge because Chauvin is facing 75 years. He did uh, propose through his defense attorney a plea bargain to plead guilty. So this is a very complicated case. We have to look at all the facts. We have to tell the media, look, um, yeah, you don't know the facts. You weren't there. You weren't in the jury room. But in general, I do support the jury still. This isn't over. And hopefully when justice occurs, America will heal. America will learn. My last statement is fiat justitia ruat clem, Latin for let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Thank you very much, Kelly. We'll uh, see you next week, and let's go to Suzette. We still have you there, Suzette, for your closing comment. Okay, well, um, well, hopefully we'll see you again, Suzette. It's great to see you or, or hear you uh, back on the show. Uh, so uh, we'll get uh, some more of your, your closing comments uh, next time. So thank you very much, uh, Suzette, for uh, coming back on with us. So, yes, uh, of course, everyone is invited again next week. Uh, it'll be great to uh, 
see you all here. And, of course, uh, next week, hopefully, I haven't got confirmation yet, uh, but we are looking to have uh, uh, Amy Murray on next week and maybe after that. But we do have uh, it booked that we are going to have Jack Lombardi on. There will be a special edition of Bard's Logic. So it will be a Monday evening on May the 10th. Uh, so looking forward to that. And then, of course, we've got other candidates uh, who are going to be running in primaries against Gonzalez and also uh, for uh, Omar uh, Navarro, hoping to get him on. Uh, they're also ones who um, I take issue with you know, some of the Republicans that look to uh, impeach Trump, and so we'll talk more about that. But uh, doing it, again, I appreciate everyone for coming on because Bart's Logic, uh, that's why it's not named after the host, because this is your show, uh, the people's show, and it's definitely your contributions uh, on tonight and on the shows that makes uh, Bard's Logic, you know, just that you know, great show. Again, the uh, grassroots We the People show. So we'll play the song as I do every night at the end, and that's by Aubrey Ashburn. And thank you very much, folks. We'll see you next time, and good night. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.